Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. It's quite a bit earlier tonight. It um, is a lot. Of, I'm not used to it being sunny outside. Uh, sunny and, and uh, hey. And nice. I, I bought something for the house, and that rarely happens. I bought an AC. Our, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. AC crapped out last week. Yeah. Are you still there, Jim? I'm here. I'm still here. Oh, the, the image, the image froze. Whatever. Oh, oh. Um, so yeah, the AC we had crapped out, so I replaced it. Um, I spent all day yesterday doing that. My legs hurt because from lifting the thing, and it was a it was a nightmare. But um, it's all done. It's over with. And the funny part was the last episode. You didn't know this, but I'm sitting here sweating bullets while we were doing the last episode because it was like 77 degrees in the house. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> we did the last episode, but Ugh. I survived four days, you know, and uh, I'm all good now. So what's new with you? So there's a hurricane coming. You yep. probably you get know. all your uh, supplies before. I, yeah, I bought water and <laughs> and I have, you know, rice. Yeah. I, what it, it, water is all I really need. I mean, I'm not going to be I just stranded for more than stock a couple up of up days. Stock up on ammunition so you can take it from your neighbors. I'm fat, so I've got plenty of food. <laughs> food stores are done. Yep. Got it. Right here. <laughs> so anyway. Jim dies of starvation between now and the next episode. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. I could probably not eat at all between now and the next well, episode. Well, you're going to start digesting still your brain be matter very quickly. Yeah, that's the problem. The body isn't smart about what it eats first. So uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now. So today I did my first P-dubs thing. So I, I saw your live video and I cracked up. Oh yeah, is that for real? Like yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was in the. So those who um, get a chance to go into the group, um, just pop in, become a member of the group, and uh, just to listen to that video. So that's real P Dub, uh, CCLI they call it, which is a licensing service that you get, and it's also it provides you with chords and sheet music and lyrics. Who pays for and, that. The, the churches have to pay for it. I know, but but it's like you go on this service and it's like this is useless. Oh, I know. It was it was K-pop. All you really need is chord charts and the lyrics. That's how most hymnals are set up. You know, they might have the melody as well. But yeah, so we had uh, like the 
I don't know how it sits in the the uh, Lutheran church um, politics, but the, the guy just under the cardinal was at the church today, and he said, all you need is a $70 book. Just order this book. We'll pay for it. So, awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah, so it looks like I'm in permanently. I mean, I, I don't know for yeah, sure. You didn't, until get, you didn't get fired. Tuesday, but I didn't get fired. I actually had several people come up to me, said that I was a breath of flesh, fresh air. Breath I was a breath, air. breath of fresh air. I can't say that <laughs> three times fast there. <laughs> um, yeah, 12. No. Um, and uh, that that they uh, they really enjoyed my uh, voice, my playing, my singing. And I wondered who they were listening to. So anyway, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was something that, uh, you know, it's always nice to hear something like that. It's really you know it's really pleasant to hear people like say stuff like that but too, yeah. yeah but i'm also a realist and i know i'm you know i'm just a guy and and doing my thing and and uh so it, it looks good it looks cool. good for a future so we'll cool. see we'll see cool so yeah. um but now i have to buy a time and streamline uh a time and streamline yeah stream and time a stri- time like and streamline a time and streamline <laughs> Hey, hey Joyo, I got a pedal for you. <laughs> the Timon Strymline. So now I got to buy a Strymon Timeline, and I got to buy a Strymon um, Big Sky, and I got to buy a Strymon Blue Sky, and I got to buy a Strymon. What else does Strymon got out there? And I have to uh, the buy the Volante. Oh, you need the Volante. I, yep, the Volante. I have to also buy um, uh, two. I, I understand that, that there's a rule. You have to have two offset guitars. Um, and is it, uh, is it two? Yeah, two at least two. Uh, that's your minimum. Um, and one sir, right? Right. One okay. one of them has to be a sir, and the other one has to be some brand that uh, only ten other people have heard of and are made in um, Nashville by somebody that has a really cool beard and okay. uh, is also a craft beer guy. Okay. So it, that's uh, there for, for our listeners. Jim is not. <laughs> Jim is just getting, poking fun. Right? I'm like, poking he's fun doing this thing for real too. So <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm. I'm uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm Pokemon to myself. The the fact is that actually, I mean, it was a guitar, uh, my acoustic guitar plugged straight straight into a DI into the into the board, right? And my vocals. That's as bare bones as it got, folks. Not even delay. So the next guitar you need to get is an acoustic guitar, then. Probably, I'm probably, I'm looking at. So there's two guitars in the in the line. There's a um agnacola. Ag- 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce the wood. Um, made by Marshall, um, and uh, there's a new one made by Gibson that's actually made in the states, surprisingly enough. Um, and uh, it's it's sub one thousand dollars. And when I say sub one thousand dollars, we're talking by a penny, but yeah. it's still sub a thousand dollars. Well, yeah, but they, so they have Gibson's always tried to have like the one guitar that's at the thousand dollar price point. Um, they have the double cut. The the one with the it's like it's a satin finish double cut. It's very thin skin satin nitro cellulose. But yeah, yeah this so this is a thin. Uh, this is just like that. It's an acoustic. It's a uh, um, very. It it's got no finish. This thing is satin as it gets. Um, but I was surprised at how good it sounded and how good it played. But I also be I, I also want to tell you there was a shocker in the guild line. There's a $500 guild that will go toe to toe with these guys that might be, you know, it's got good contention. Dude, I even like if you're going acoustic electric, the acoustic tones don't matter as much as the electric tones for what That's right. And it's got to have that Fishman that decent Fishman pickup. Right. I there's some some $600 Martins that I'm just like what? Yeah, the, but again, they don't sound as good unplugged. 
So. Well, the, no, for me, the difference is this when it comes to an acoustic, because you're right. When it comes to the pickup, to be honest, the, the Guild that I'm looking at, the uh, Martin that I'm looking at, and the um, the uh, Gibson I'm looking at, all three have the same pickup system, mm -hmm. the same Fishman pickup system, with the same controls in the same place, everything's the same. The only real difference, and you know, I mean, if you're an acoustic purist, yes, there's going to be some difference in the tone. I mean, less, it's tone wood, come on, it, that's right. really where tone wood matters. But for me, it's the feel of the guitar, the neck, how comfortable is it around my neck? How com mm -hmm. how comfortable is the feel? Um, was it Breedlove? I want to say it's Breedlove that just came out with one that's got a um, a cut for your forearm. That Breedlove's been doing that for a while. Actually, um, really expensive tailors have been doing that as well. Well, yeah, really expensive tailors. Breedlove has been doing it, but on their more high end model. This one was yeah. sub sub seven hundred, sub six hundred model. Mm -hmm. And and Breedlove is another company that if you get into like the seven hundred dollar range, they're really, yeah. really good guitars. Yeah, I mean, you know, my believe it or not, there's there's two guitars that I would love to have that are in the acoustic range. An Emerald. I don't know if you're familiar with the Emeralds. Yeah, they're uh, they're carbon fiber, right? Carbon fiber guitar, yeah, that would be awesome. Or a, um, or it would be a Gibson Hummingbird. I mean, well, I mean, it's worth it. So if you're going to be doing this long term and stuff, like it would be worth it to yeah. invest in a decent acoustic. For yeah. me, I I have an acoustic. It sits in the closet. I think I played it like once in three years. <laughs> and 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 the reality is, I just don't play acoustic. Like I just don't. Yeah. Um, I can make a clean electric guitar sound exactly the way that like. You know, I would just jam it out, and so that's that's it. Um, yeah, acoustics take a lot more care. There's got to be a lot more sure, love yeah. and, and care than an electric. Electric is pretty much slab of wood with some electrons in. And yeah, I, mean, I always make sure that my cases are humidified and stuff. Like I, yep, I do yep. go in there. Every I bought, yeah, make sure I bought a thing for that. I mean, it'll, it's going to get dry because it's in a case anyway. But yep. um, and I don't check it every day. But like once every couple of months, I'll go in there and make sure that there's a wet rag or something so that. At least there's they, some moisture in the game. So um, I'll post a link later in the group, but there's this thing that I want to say it's Dunlop makes, but I, I can't remember. It's it's sitting out in my kitchen, but um, they make these packets. There's three packets in a, in a thing you buy. Right, right, and those are great. And you just, it's just like a wet rag idea. You just drop it in there, and you close it. And that thing, supposedly, it lets off. When it needs to, and it, it absorbs when it needs they to. They last, so. what, like two days, I think, or three days? I don't remember how they, they last they a want while. You to, they want you to humidify your acoustics, like, frequently. Yeah. that's And that's, for me, honestly, it's just too much maintenance. I'm not going to keep my house at the optimal, you know, conditions for an acoustic guitar. Right? Yep. And for our listeners, um, we've got uh, guests coming up, and I want to give away names. So I'll just let you know that uh, the individual does maintenance um, and... Uh, Maintains guitars for um, and other um, stringed instruments for um, yeah, so, some folks. So uh, and has been a luthier in the past. If you have questions, send them over because we're gonna ask. Because we'll ask them next week. We're gonna have that person on and and we'll ask those questions. Um, since you know, I, I'm contemplating doing away with the bumper, but I want to go ahead and um, since we're in the beginning of the episode, just remind everybody we have a Facebook group, we have Patreon, we have. Um, we have a, a Teespring or, or no, it's not Teespring. It's the other. No, one. ours is a um, that other remember. one. <laughs> Go into our Facebook group. Join our Facebook group first and foremost before you do anything else to support the show. Join the Facebook group. 
Then if you really want to give us some money, there are, there are a couple options for you in there. You'll see that they're in the uh, the announcements at the top of the page. Um, it's it's worth it, and there's a community of listeners, and you'll find out that there are actually other people that enjoy listening to us two idiots um, banter about yeah, guitar back, back and um, forth. Yeah. So I <laughs> there was a there, you posted the picture of the um, the Keyhole Telecaster and the uh, I forget this is a soloist or something All as was- they call it. Yes, all I was saying in my post, I wasn't trying to pick on Kiesel no, 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 as, no, no, no. as an individual. I just want people to know that what I was saying is there's you know a lot of companies that they they make guitars that look like guitars made by other companies. Sure. So it's like you know, hey, look at us, we make these too, and because most people know Kiesel for stuff like yours, the um, the what was it, the Darth Vader series. Right. Yeah, the Kiesel Vader. Yeah, the Vader. I have a Zeus actually. <laughs> He's got a Zeus. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, a lot of people know the the old Carvin with the big um, uh, headstock that if you got stuck in a paddle, you could you know, or in a rowboat, you could get your way back upstream. Um, and uh, so people don't know that they've got some really really gorgeous guitars. Yeah, they make there. some crazy stuff, man. Um, and I've seen. I think the most expensive one they've done was like twelve thousand dollars. There's this crazy Koa, like they call it the Koa Angel, and I think they did a couple of those. Yeah, so. and I want to, and I want to say this. So this week, um, Phil McKnight was talking about Jeff Kiesel, and he said, you know, in the beginning, he said, "Oh, geez, it's gonna, it's gonna go to crap." You know, this is always a sign when a when a company's got to change names and when they've got to do this, it's gonna. He said, Jeff Kiesel has done nothing but good for the company, um, and uh, he said that that. What they've done with their quality and the fact that they are they are a company that builds custom guitars for relatively inexpensive price, um, that uh, their their resale values on Kiesel's versus the old Carvins. Oh, yeah, dude. Has I could sell my Zeus wow. for almost what I paid for it. Yeah, um, which is insane. Um, yeah. and that was why part of the reason why I was like, you know what. I need to give them another look. So I'm actually looking. I'm I'm considering buying another one. Um, of course, I return the AZ, uh, and that may happen. Um, I'm going to make a trip down to Sweetwater first. I want to get some hands on some other guitars. I think I mentioned in the last episode. Um, yep. I'm starting to plan that. Um, but I'm I'm really interested in um, people's impressions of Jeff Kiesel. And part of it's there was a discussion going on in the the um, end of that that thread where. Um, some people were commenting that, you know, they don't really like Jeff all that much. And I, and I, of course I have been very public on this show with saying, I think Jeff comes off as being sort of, um, not a guy you'd want to identify yourself with. Uh, if, if that makes any sense, like he seems like a real, you know, you're gonna talk about bro country. Like he seems like the bro country guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that you're like, uh, I don't know, dude. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to identify a couple of things. So I've seen some things go on with Jeff and people in forums and stuff, and they kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but ultimately, like, I don't know this dude as an individual. I don't think any of us do. And um, right, it, it, I'm sure he is a, a person like all of the rest of us. Right. right. Um, and so to that end, I wanna I wanna be like really clear when I say you know I can make fun of people all day long and kind of poke fun at people. But I don't know some of these guys. I'm like, Jeff, like, I'd love to have Jeff on the show and actually yeah. have him kind of give him a venue to clear his name. Because um, I know he, he's a polarizing dude. And I think somebody, um, there's a, there was a 
uh, survey or something where they're talking about people who polarize people in the guitar community, and his name came up. And it's like, I, I get it, but there are other polarizing people in the, the gear community too. Zvex is one of them. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I also wanted to echo for everybody that like listens to the show. Jim and I don't really believe that it's worthwhile to pick your, you know, pick your poison in these companies, like to worry about who's running it um, and worry about the politics of it. If you like the instrument, you like the instrument. Now, there are some situations like if they're using, you know, slave labor in uh, in Egypt or something crazy like that, um, or they're anti-Semitic, <laughs> you might want to. You might want to think about those kinds of problems, but it's, but if you don't like the guy because he's always talking about his race car, like I don't know that that's a good reason, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's fine. Like I know everybody has personal conflicts. Like people rub them the wrong way, and that's kind of I think how Jeff's videos come off to me is he just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But it doesn't mean he's a bad dude. It just means that I'm not used to the style of delivery that he has in the way that he communicates with people. So, um. That, that that aside, uh, I would be remiss to say that I haven't heard horror stories of dealing with him in customer service situations. But remember that when you hear those kinds of conversations, you only hear one side of the argument. And as we know, guitar players can be picky breed and people can get really upset and bent out of shape about super minor things um, that are just absolutely ridiculous and really don't make a lot of sense. If you get receive a guitar with a warped neck, that's a reason to throw somebody under the bus if they refuse to replace it. If you receive a guitar where there's a little bit of glue around the luminolay that you don't like, that's probably not <laughs> the the, um, the battle you're going to win. Um, so just keep all that in mind. Like when you're reading, it's not just Jeff Kiesel, but like all of these forums and stuff, people go all, they go out of their mind over this stuff. Like, I received a pedal from Cattle and Bread, and it has a chip in it. Or, and it's like this little dot, you know? It's like, dude, it still functions. What's the problem? Um, I know some people are really anal about that stuff, but it's not really worth it. And don't drag somebody through the mud about that on, on you know, social media and make everybody think, oh, their quality's gone to crap because there's a dot of paint missing from your pedal that you might have done when you pulled it out of the box. Right, know? right. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, at, at the end of the day, many of these things are tools and, you know, I've made it very clear that many of the things that I use, like my Kemper, for example, it's black and white screen. I, it's black and white. I don't care what it looks like because I, I'm the one looking at it. If the audience can't see it, why should I care? If they can see that, that hairline of extra glue on your, on your Kiesel from the audience, like then there's a problem. <laughs> Okay, that is purely for your own benefit, and you got to bear in mind the price you spent on something. So, like, if you're expecting a work of art for fifteen hundred bucks, you're going to be pretty close. But it just depends on your definition of work of art, right? Um, it's not, you know, a three thousand dollar, four thousand dollar perfect instrument if you only paid fifteen hundred bucks for it. I don't care where it right. comes from. Yep, I think one of the things to remember though is, and we've gotten this uh, this mindset quite a bit. Um, is that there are, there are people who um, are looking for perfection, not to say that you shouldn't have, you should have glue lines and stuff like there should be. Yeah, I mean, you know, it should be uniform. And at certain points, there's a uniformity that you should expect. But um, there's, a, there's a line of perfection because 
there's a lot of people who are getting into whether they're getting into flipping stuff or they're doing uh, uh, investment. And you got to remember that that you know everything that you invest in, regardless of what it is, it could be this, it could be the stock market, it could be pork bellies. I mean, whatever it is that you're investing in can turn great or to crap, just like the the real estate market in what was it, two thousand one? Blink of an eye, two thousand two. And you know, just I, like that. Honestly, I've heard people say that like I invest in guitars. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. You are a moron. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think I think musical instruments, unless you're buying super vintage pieces that are like one of a kind, ultra rare that people actually want, um, you're shooting yourself in the foot because the stuff that comes off the line from these places now, they're making millions of them. It's not even worth trying because it, it, nobody's gonna throw them in the garbage. They all know what they're worth. I'm I'm not gonna get into the whole rarity thing. Like I've done. I collect comic books on the side, sort of. I, every once in a while, I'll go buy through it, you know, buying binge, and I'll buy a bunch. Um, but I haven't bought comic books in probably four or five years now. Um, and the point is that there was a boom in the comic book industry, and everybody was buying all these new books because they thought they were all, like, gambling. Like, this is going to be the big one that everybody wants to buy and speculating. And there was a speculator's market. A lot of those books became very expensive. And then... <laughs> After a period of time, nobody wanted them. So now what are they worth? They're worth a nickel in some cases because they so, overprinted them and they yep. made sure they looked like they were limited edition. So everybody would buy them. And now they sit in comic book boxes everywhere in stores where you can buy them for a dime. That's right. There was a um, – so when Stephen King was still writing as Richard Bachman, right, mm -hmm. I bought some of the Bachman out. Not because I knew it was Stephen King, but because he became – and then – Oh, there was this flood of people that just had to have a Richard Bachman, Stephen King novel. Mm -hmm. I sold those things as fast as people could because I knew that their value was limited to about 25 minutes. Yeah, it was whatever that people were going to pay you for them that day. That's right. Um, and I'll give you another example. It was in trading cards uh, when O.J. Simpson was on trail. O.J. Simpson's cards were selling like hotcakes. Yeah. We get an O.J. Simpson card in and sell it that very day. And um, that was another one. I said, this thing is limited. Whatever people will give us, get rid of it. Yeah, just get it out it, of the dump store. Dump it down while it's worth money. Yep. Um, and so that's basically what I'm pointing out here, though, is that, you know, this this whole idea that you can turn guitars into a collector's market like that. Yeah. I just don't see it. Not with modern guitars. Not with the stuff produced today. Because it's not all going to end up in a landfill. No, because it's even – there was a rarity of guitars built by Gibson Fender, yeah. name, the, name the company, in, the 50s, in 1950s. 70s, you know. right? Well, as the 60s and 70s started to come in, and once machines started getting involved more and more in Yeah, the, they could crank them out. Um, matter of fact, that was another thing Phil McKnight mentioned was he was talking about the Jackson Dinkies when they were still made in Japan. And the necks were made by hand. They were all handcrafted. So he said you could get three dinkies and two might have crappy necks. One has a neck that you just love. Uh -huh. And he said, and there's no way you can know to get your hands on them right. because there's no consistency whatsoever. None. And so we can we can sit here and we can talk about the part and it's this, that, the other thing and so on and so forth. And you, know, you could special order them from a place like PRS or whatever. But the fact is that 
most people don't know the neck they like. Right. Even people who know necks they like don't know the neck they like. In other words, they grab it and they go, yeah, I like this neck. Yeah. But they, they would never be able to tell someone on the phone or over the internet. Oh, yeah, dude. Like What that neck was. I tell people like, oh, I prefer 12-inch radius. And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I'm like, you don't know what a 12-inch radius is? You know. The truth is, until we talked, you, you and I, I didn't know – that I mean, I've heard the twelve. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't know that like that had that big an impact on the way a guitar plays. Had no idea that. See those two strats behind me. I like that one, nine and, and I kind of like that's a nine and a half. That's a twelve. Love the twelve. Okay, mm, still getting used to that nine and a half. Yeah, love the twelve. Love the twelve right there. That SG. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the fact is that I, I gravitate it, – it's probably because I started on Gibson. I think a lot of people nowadays – you know what? So I know a lot of people are like really into vintage guitars. Oh, I like 7.5-inch you know, because that's what Fender originally used. And I think it's a lot of hocus-pocus too because those guitars a lot in a lot of cases have been refretted and, and modified over the years. And they – especially the old ones where the frets have worn down, yep. a lot of times there's I was, no fretware above the 12th, and you have a compound radius. You don't even realize it. Yep. That's what I was just going to say. A lot of people don't even realize what they've done to the fretboard. They don't realize – I wonder why I love this old played worn-in guitar because it's old played and worn in, and somebody's already worn that thing Yeah, it's a concrete – it's basically a concave – Yeah. A seven an inch is – seven and a half is like this, and they finally got – <laughs> they've shaved some of that off uh, i know i know some people are like oh well you know you're supposed to have a level and crown every couple of years or whatever and and i think a lot of the luthiers do the crown they don't do the level right and yep. so um <laughs> that's what i'm getting at though is like things like that that's what makes a collector's guitar these like vi super vintage rare pieces but it's not just that it's rarity like some of the guitars that are super rare and worth a lot of money Nobody plays them. Nobody's interested in playing them. Now, the 59 Les Pauls, that's one thing. There's guys like Joe Bonamos that still love them. They get used in the studio. But yeah, there's, what is it, 50-something, 50, 50 what, what do they call White pickguard tellies, right? Yeah, the white guard tellies. Those are 54s or 53, something like that. They're really early 50s. Yeah. Then there's the um, the Stratocaster, again, early, early, yeah, well, mid-50s. Yeah, and then uh, there's the 60, 64? Unfortunately, because that's my birth year, the 64 Strat that sells like hotcakes. Uh, the because... 61, 62, and I think the 64 is another another big year, but I think I think that whole yep. run between 64. But once you got to CBS era. Yeah. You know what's funny is, and I say this the because first year somebody will go out. CBS is not bad. <laughs> no, no, because CBS hasn't screwed up the line yet. <laughs> but the thing is, so if you take, that's why, you know, the, there's the, the, Post blackface, silver space, or post, post, you know what I'm talking. Yeah, the drip edge but and all the, that stuff, right? Yeah. So anyway, the, the the what I'm about to say is that. So let's say somebody had a '74 Les Paul or '74 Stratocaster, and they would ask a ton of money for it. In reality, back in '74, those weren't great guitars. People didn't even want them. They were. Then there was I having mean, trouble selling guitars by the late '70s. Yeah. Because companies like um, – who birthed from Fender, Charvel, Jackson, um, Kramer. I mean Jackson worked for Fender. I mean he was one of their top luthiers. He walked away – sure, walked away – sorry, walked away from uh, Fender. Um, 
And he was he was with Jackson, right? He worked with Jackson. Well, you're talking about you're talking about uh, Greg Sir. He yeah. he walked away way later in the nineties. Yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, John John, um, Pen- John Pensa Sir. That's his name. That's it. I don't know. Is it Pensa? No, I think Pensa Sir is a uh, Pensa was one of the other guys, and they started the company Pensa Sir, and then it became Pensa Sir. I don't know. But, Correct uh, me. I'm not I'm just up on my that, Sir history because I don't really care yeah. about the luthiers that work at Fender. But what happened was, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Once somebody got really good at what they were doing and somebody really liked them, uh, who was I listening to? Oh, the guy from uh, Boogie. So what's his name? Um, Randall Smith. Randall Smith. So he did an interview with uh, Sweetwater while he was – I know. Was I sat in it. Did you? Yes. No, there, there you go. <laughs> and I thought some of the stuff he said was really cool. And he was talking about how people would bring him fenders and go, make this sound good. Yeah. And so he was taking it. And this is the thing that people, you know, outside of that don't realize is so he made, he modded fenders and then he went outside. And this is how I guess he, he was talking about how he got the name. Uh, yeah, Carlos Santana. A famous story. Walked in and said, he, yeah. He uh, took Country Joe and the Fish's. Uh... Princeton yeah. and put basement transformers in it and made it really loud and then put it back all together in this tiny little combo. And yeah, that's, that's the story. So when, when, uh, Carlos played when it, Carlos... He was like, Oh my gosh, I have to have one of these and it really boogies. Yep. That's it. And he, yeah, that was it. And it, it really boogies. And, and I think if you look at, um, if you look at guitar, uh, stuff like that, like these, these, Oh man, these are so awesome. Think about the era that was Country Joe and the Fish. Mm-hmm. How many of you guys have ever heard of a Country Joe and the Fish song? <laughs> only because of that. Only because the only reason anybody <laughs> has ever up heard. And I was like, oh, yeah. The only reason anybody has ever heard of Country Joe and the Fish was because they were in the scene when the Grateful Dead and Carlos Santana and all these people were coming up in the late '60s, early '70s. It wasn't because. Country Joe and the Fish, I'm not saying they weren't good. I'm just saying that they weren't that popular. Uh, but they did Woodstock. And so what are you going to do? But but my point is that um, a lot of people – back then too, somebody found out, hey, man, what's what's Sir, or, uh, what's Randall Smith doing to those, um, uh, those Princetons to make them sound so good? Who's putting in these transformers? Well, I got to do that. So they'd find somebody who could do the same thing. Randall Smith wasn't doing anything anybody Paul else Rivera. could do. <laughs> oh. Yeah, exactly, Paul Rivera. <laughs> um, Randall Smith wasn't doing anything anybody else could do. No, he and was just so, designing and being innovative in the yeah, fact that he he was a, he's a car junkie. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a he's lot like, of those yeah. guys are car junkies. He, dude, he's yeah. he's a very interesting individual. He'll tell you about radar equipment if you sit and talk to him. Yeah, yeah, I could talk. I could talk that to him all day. Um, and uh, the the funny thing is, like I said, he you know listening to him, he's not a guitar player, but he knew how to listen to guitar players, and then see what they wanted. He he listened and built to their specs versus building what he thought they wanted, building what they did want. You know, and I think that's a that's a huge thing. That's another thing. So more on the subject. I'm going way off, way off on a tangent. Yeah, now we're Chip's talking about something out here else. In left we're field. Get, Look out! We're going to get Pull this back. ship right back on course here in a second. But um, I hear all these stories about like people like Leo Fender and uh, Randall Smith. They don't play guitar. I highly doubt that any of these individuals is doesn't play guitar. Like 
Leo Fender, probably nobody saw him playing guitar, and he wasn't, you know, a super great guitar player. But I guarantee you, he picked his guitars up and he strummed them. <laughs> you know, oh, sure. and the same thing is true of uh, now. Maybe that maybe that didn't qualify him to have an opinion because he didn't play a lot of them. But right. um, something like Randall Smith, I guarantee you, he can play a few chords. <laughs> you know, it's right. like it's not. This is not. But by by the but he's not going to call himself a guitar player, right? Because... By the professional definition, he's not a guitar player. You know what I'm saying? And it's interesting yeah. because now we're, we've been talking about Jeff Kiesel earlier in the episode. He doesn't play. I've never seen him play anything anywhere. Nope. Nope. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen his father play guitar either. But you know they both do. Um, and yep. and they've said as much. So, you know, um, yep. it is what it is. Well, I was just saying that. When you look back at this vintage gear, and I've said this before, that was back when we didn't care, we being my age group and the, mm -hmm. and the folks, and where you got a guitar, and you know what you did? You made ears. You sanded the back of the neck. Yeah, you did. You took the, it was a tool. You, you took the electronics, like I'm going to do to this Strat. I'm pulling that damn volume knob off where the, where the bridge pickup is. That thing is irritating as heck. I don't need two no, tone knobs. I just want to dial all the tone out in one. I don't even really need a tone knob, to be honest with you. Not a Strat. I, I just want a tone uh, – actually, what do they call it? A tone bleed circuit so, so you, that I don't lose do you tone. you actually pick that I close just, to the bridge? <laughs> Me? Yeah. I, I'm a um so no. But I've got fat hands, obviously. Cause I, I tend to hit that thing all the time. You know, what that means is that Jim likes to strum wildly. He's like a yes, punk rocker a, when he's playing. When I when I when I'm playing okay, so um uh, one of my teachers uh I used to be the guy with the pinky latched into a place and I moved my finger around, yeah. right? And that's what I do. Right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, no, there's nothing wrong with it. But a teacher told me, he said, you can get more speed if you pick your pinky up and move your hand. Comes and from the so, jazz school of thinking. Yep. Because that's not necessarily true. I mean, it just depends on the no. player. I think I think you can cultivate each style. I think there are paths that take more time. Um, yeah, so what has happened is the inside of my wrist actually touches the edge of the bridge. Yeah. And that's what is my anchor point. Everybody should have an anchor point. Otherwise, you don't have a point of reference. Right, which is why I'm like, oh, he's telling you not to use your pinky? Like, yeah. dude, for, for the longest time, my anchor point was my my pinky wrapped around the volume knob on, on his Oh, track. yeah. 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 I used to use the, bri the bridge pickup. I used to wrap my my finger around the edge of the bridge pickup. Well, I don't know if I, I use that. that far. But I do. So you can see on my Kiesel, like, I have a spot just below where the – because I've already, I've already like, it, my Kiesel's starting to shine up already. Because I mm -hmm. play a lot, um, and yeah, but uh, yeah, with the with the uh, uh, with the uh, SG, it's the corner of the bridge. Corner of the bridge. Um, yeah. So I do, I do have an anchor point. I just don't use my pinky, and now I can't do it. I've tried. I've tried going back to using the pinky as a bridge. No, you can't. You, you have to modify the way your wrist works and stuff. It it, it takes a lot of work. I mean, you could, yep. but you'd have to spend a lot of time doing it. Yeah, I've spent twenty years you doing mean, it like, the other way. Consciously, like, and I have to go back. Unthink right? it. It's just like um, whenever you learn. I, I was watching Tony Emmanuel. Uh, I'm, you mean I'm Tommy Emmanuel? This video. Yeah, Tommy Emmanuel. I'm sorry, Tony <laughs> You're Emmanuel. You're butchering names that's, tonight, man. 
That's his cousin, Tony. He's, uh, hey, Tony, yeah. come over here. Um, oh, no, now, now a bunch of people are going to yell at me. Hey, I'm Italian. Um, I don't care. My terrible Italian accent, which was horrendous. I know that. I'm, I'm Italian, um, I anyway, don't care. My, my brother's name's Tony. So Anyway, um, so uh, Tommy Emmanuel was on uh, Anderton's, and he was talking about when he grew up. He started doing that stuff when he was six. Yeah. Now I hate him even more. Um, so, <laughs> but anyway... So he was like he, – he didn't know there was such a thing as a bass player in a band. Yep. So his brother asked him to play rhythm. So he played the bass line and the rhythm line because he thought that's what he was supposed to yeah. do. So that's how he, he came up with that whole style. So the guy's been doing it forever, right? I don't think he could – I'm not saying he couldn't. But I'm just saying he would have to think about it to play like a plunk – a plunk – a punk rock. Okay, who decided to do this so early that I can't even talk? <laughs> <laughs> Jim's not good liquored up because it's Sunday. <laughs> it's, I haven't had but one diet co- or diet Pepsi so far. No, um, uh, I don't think I think he'd have more problems doing a really convincing like punk rock or really rocking thing than the stuff he does. Now d- that doesn't take away from the fact that the man is a genius. I mean, like genius. Um, he plays like six things at the same time with with five digits <laughs> the guy's amazing so I don't, I, I don't take anything away from that I'm just saying that um, there are you have to and that's what Tony um, or uh, Tommy was saying is you have to find your niche and then you play into that you play to your strengths improve on your weaknesses and um, but I like we were talking before I really do have to sit down and, and have you teach me some of those the picking styles that you use to help me navigate through some of the speed that i i need so or i would like to have anyway um let's well, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic so a couple weeks ago we talked about um i think at the end of an episode we, we asked the, the audience about the ethics of modeling yeah and um i want to i want to actually have a real discussion about this on the show because i think i think it's an interesting thing to think about um I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. Like I'm firmly against the idea that there is an ethical ramification to playing modeled equipment um, in the sense that I don't, and I guess I probably should present the argument first, right? Um, So there are people who think that like line six and all these other companies that have modeled gear that other um, companies have created should be paying some sort of royalty or should be at least um, acknowledging those other companies um, for for their contributions to their equipment. So um, I'm not that person. I honestly think that there the differences are significant enough um, that you know if a musician can tell the difference, or or you know, I guess if a musician can tell the difference, then it's obviously not the same thing. Um, I also kind of believe that clone pedals, this whole idea that you can clone a pedal and then you can sue the company, uh, you know, for, for ripping off their design. Well, we all know that you, the, the actual like schematic cannot be patented. You know, that's why people can get away with that and have been getting away for that for years. It's things like software code can be, could be patented, um, and the usage of something. So like if they come up with a new pedal that does X, they could theoretically patent it. Um, but yeah, so Jim, take it away. What are, what are your thoughts? Oh well, you know we talked about that 
uh, because the question came into can you can you patent tone or can you copyright tone? And um, it, there's two schools of thought right now, right? There's a, there's a school of thought that a modeled amp doesn't sound a modeled or profiled amp does not sound anything like the original. Not not saying it does or doesn't. Just saying no. That's right. a school of thought. And then there's the school of thought that it's good enough and it's close enough and I and it, it and um, I I can use this. So um, honestly, I don't think there's any way that I would say to anyone that um, you can you could patent that, that that there's any way to patent or copyright a tone. Yeah. But that said, um, we need to be able to protect. Um, I, I mean, you don't have to go dumble over the board like Dumble did. I mean, where he's he's encasing it in a block of ice. And and, and look <laughs> what that did for him. It means nothing because at the end of the day, nothing. your circuit is still going to be melted away. They're going to find out the component values. You need to sand them off, and then they're going to clone your stuff. Yeah, and and it's not and and you know in the Dumble's case, it's really interesting because it's not even like. So normally when we think about counterfeit, right? It's like a Chinese company or somebody in the Philippines or something somewhere, you know, in the third world with that is getting a hold of a design and saying, we're going to copy this so that we can make money. Um, and I think the, the real gray area here is that a lot of the times the copies aren't the same. They cheapen it in some way to make it, you know, either uh, less expensive than the manufacturer or... Um, and in some cases, like we do it here in the States, they often try to make it better, which um, like <laughs> Tube Screamers, classic example, right? There are a billion and a half Tube Screamers on the market, and right. all of them are distinctly different. Even the ones that Ibanez puts out are distinctly different. You can put one next to the other, and they will sound similar, but not the same. Um, and so the reason why I bring this up is because we tend to think that it's all these like third world countries that are doing it maliciously when in reality it's these companies trying to come up with another product and there's this hierarchy of development and this is basically how the guitar industry is operating for years but it's the way the tech industry operates too if you think that um intel is not buying amd processors off the shelf and taking them back to their labs and dissecting them to look and see what's going on under the hood and to see if they can incorporate some of the same things into their chipsets, and vice versa, you're you're crazy. Right. Um, right. And I, I one more thing before I hand it back to you. Um, I was talking with uh, Robert Jackson at um, at the Iron Maiden concert a week or two ago, and um, the question came up. You know, Paul Reed Smith was at his store when he was working Guitar Center, and he he was buying vintage guitars, and he wasn't buying them to collect them. He was going to go take them home and disassemble disassemble them, yeah. and and break them down because he wanted to know how things worked. Um, and I, that's essentially what happens in every industry. Um, this is not necessarily. That's why I said I don't think this is necessarily an ethical problem. Although, I will say that that's sort of because this, and I'm tapping on my Kemper that's on my desk right here, is different mm -hmm. than. Um, the actual amps it portrays to model. I know I can talk about how accurate it is, but ultimately it's not the same thing, right? It's very similar, no. but it's not going to be 
and that there, I don't think yeah. there ever will be because, again, you're trying to uh, approximate a real world thing. Now there will be a point where we don't, we we can't distinguish the difference, which I think we're very very close to being there, but I don't think that that's upon us yet, and I think that um, that plays into this argument, you know, from from the uh, people side that that kind of agree with me, which is that these products really aren't hurting them. In fact, I would argue that these products are actually enhancing the sales of companies like Fender and Marshall, and because you buy a you buy a Kemper like me, and I've been using the um, I've been playing around lately with the uh, the victory patches that I bought the the profiles, um, yep. and I've been using the crack and a lot, and I'm thinking you're too you know when money frees up I might buy Kraken, and mm, yeah and yeah the victory yeah and I'm just it and it's because I played this right so this should be looked at as a sales tool or a sales vehicle, and so when I see companies yeah. like Fender. Um, getting mad that that somebody put fender on the name of their modeler you know of, in front of the <laughs> amplifier model i'm like why i would i would encourage it because i would be at the point where i'm like you know what this may not totally represent our brand but it may interest somebody enough to know like oh if that 65d model is actually a 65 deluxe i could go buy a reissue you know um right just saying like i know a lot of people especially from my generation who cut their teeth on modeling amps who have gone on to buy the amps that were in, that were like the first big models they liked. Um, I, I one person in particular, uh, he, he fell in love with the, uh, line six, uh, flex tone three model of the matchless. And he has a matchless chieftain. Now he also has uh bad cat and a couple other matchless style amps. Um, and where do you think he got that from? I mean, that's that's essentially what it was. Right. Well, I can tell you that that, that led me towards my purchase. Um, you know, my JMP, um, my Marshall. Uh, uh, I want a JMP. I had a, you know, you had a JMP 50. Yeah, I wish I still had it. Um, and I had a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A T, uh, I loved it, by the way. So. Whether people like it or not, I had a, um, a DSL, a, a dual, it was called a dual super lead or something like that. It was, yeah, DSL, just regular old DSL. Yeah, the old, the, the old the one, 100 watt head, right? Yep, okay. the big old head and the 4x12. Now, it was a 50 it was head? Awesome. I think it was a 50 watt head. 50, yeah, the one I had was a 50. Because the TSL but was a 100 I think they made, a, they made the TSL, which was a 100 watt head. And I think they made a. Did they surely make a 150 watt version? I'm I don't sure. think I don't so. Know. The mode four but, um, came later, but the, and that was 150 watt. Oh, solid that's right. State. That was 100. Yeah, I think that it was 150. Was Might have been 300, but it was yeah, solid state. Yeah, they. Yeah, they needed it. Um, but anyway, yeah, with a 1960 cab. Yep. Um, so it, it was. Uh, it was a. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, the the um, the reason for that was because I had a flex tone, had the. Marshall built into it, and I liked the sound, but I couldn't. And that's the thing that that um, drives, I think, the pedal market. If you talk to a yeah. pedal manufacturer, there's the reason they made a better tube screamer, or the, at least in the beginning, they made a better this or a better that, was because they were looking for a sound they couldn't get from the one they had. I 
or a friend was looking for a sound that would go I agree ahead. with you yeah. completely. I think there's another part to why the, the, the pedal industry has gone that way, and that is unintended use. So tube screamers initially were supposed to replace the clean channel on your amp. Like you would use the clean channel, and then you would kick on the tube screamer with the drive knob up above noon somewhere to get some saturation, right? And it does – actually, it does a pretty convincing job of that sound if you've ever done it. However, what do people use Tube Screamers for mostly today? They keep the gain almost at minimum. They, they crank the volume up, and they run the tone at about noon. Um, Mid-boost. Yeah, a little bit higher noon or a little less depending on who you are. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. It's a mid-boost at that point. And yep. so all these other people were taking note. Like Mesa Boogie does one with less gain. They they intentionally yeah. made a tube screamer with less gain because they're like yeah. we don't what nobody uses it that way so um and and all of these companies have got on the bandwagon of like designing pedals that do it slightly differently so like some of them had they improved the gain side of it so it would be more useful some of them gave the ability right. to blend out the clean signal that gets that gets blended in on a tube screamer um yeah. some of them gave you insane amounts of output volume um and that's what right. these variants are all based around is like this unintended use right. Um, right. And well, the angry, angry Charlie, which that's a blues driver in a, in a, uh, with a angry Charlie in it. And, uh, you're talking about the angry yeah. driver, right? Angry driver. Yeah. But I'm talking about the angry Charlie, which then got married to, or put into the package and they called it the angry driver. Yeah. Right. But that, again, he was, he was improving on a circuit. Yeah. The, cr MX, the, M was the M MXR, right? No, it was a crunch box. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, something. I, I can't remember the name of the company that makes them. Um, now I'm feeling old, but yeah, they, they, he basically had the crunch box circuit on the table and was messing around with it and, and improved it somewhat. Um, but it MI audio, MI yeah, audio, MI audio. Um, and I wonder if they still make their. They, I wonder if they still make I their GI fuzz. I don't know, but I liked that pedal. It's still around. I forgot about that. Oh, uh, the Angry Driver yeah. is. Basically the same thing. I mean, it, honestly, the, the, you can get the same sounds out of it. Um, and so when you stop and you think about that, that like pretty much every pedal on the market is descended from every other pedal on the market. And it starts to make a lot more sense as to why if, you, if you've ever found like a tube screamer variant you like, you could be in my camp and be like, you know what? In all honesty, this is different enough from the TS-808 that I feel like I that that this should be an actual pedal that exists. Perfect example. Boss rips off Ibanez, uh, the the TS eight hundred eight, and then they make the SD one, the Super Overdrive. Yep. And they're yep. basically the same pedal with clipping options. It's it's got a different clip, a different output clipping. It's asymmetrical, I think. Um, it's yeah. either symmetrical or asymmetrical, but it's asymmetrical. And what what was the one that uh, so Wampler made a uh, TS eight hundred eight copy so to speak well, yeah but i mean everybody's done it at this point i'm just saying that that's yeah. a major company doing it back in like the 19 actually i think the, the oh yeah probably the 90s um yeah, and it's yeah. like you kind of got to stop and take note of that situation because it's you know that's a nobody sued anybody nobody got angry about it you know um but i have heard pedal i've had not pedal but i've had heard amp manufacturers are pissed off at kemper um, and they're ticked off because they're like, oh, Kemper is, is you know, it's enabled people to, to rip off our sounds. You don't own the sound. Okay, so, you don't. Right. And the, and the thing is, so you own a Kemper. 
The, the Kemper acts and reacts the way the amp does. But it is as if you're playing, this is what I've been told, I'm not, I, and I've only played um, one a couple times and it was through a sound system, um, that it's like being in the room, like, like you put your amp in another room or you've isolated it somehow and you're playing. Or your, I shouldn't say your amp. Your um, it's like your you're cabinet. in a studio basically, and your amp is mic'd right. up in the other room, and you're sitting in the control room. There you go. That's and, what I was. And that's fine. Look, my my point yeah. is that that I don't think there is an ethical argument. I have profiles of amps that I'm never going to be able to own anyway. Marshall doesn't right. make a JTM forty five, not a real one. They make they make nope. this pale imitation. That they say is a reissue, but it's not the same as the one that came out in you know nineteen sixty whatever. Um, yeah, and that's that's what I'm getting at. So like, if you're gonna say, oh, well, you're ripping off our circuit because you have this crazy vintage version of something we don't produce anymore, I don't care. Yep. I honestly don't care. You produce it. Now, when you get into these guys that are um, that are actually like straight making copies of old analog amps like like 60s era deluxe reverbs and stuff like that and it's a you know part for part copy with original equipment in it that's kind of like okay guys you know now we're now we're crossing the line a little bit but that's a whole different animal because they are you can get that from fender now you can go to fender custom shop and you can say hey i want a deluxe a 65 deluxe reverb with new old sock parts and they'll build one. Um, it'll mm-hmm. be, I mean, it'll be a mix of dual stock and new stock. But basically, it'll, it'll be a, a 65 Deluxe reverse, Reverb reissue. Right. You know, that's yep. that's legit. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, I think people are afraid of modeling. I think that the people in the industry that um, have not started to get into that stuff are afraid of it because it they feel like they're going to be obsoleted. And, you know, I mentioned last week on the show, and I want to draw attention to this comment because I didn't last week, but I said, you know, um, when I first plugged into the Kemper and I got a sound that really knocked my socks off in terms of like the way it really sounds in the real amp, but, you know, vice versa, I realized this is the end of tube amps. But then I thought to myself, no, it's not because you still need to make the tube amp to emulate it. Right. And, right. You have to have the tube amp. And it isn't, as we've said before, it isn't just any one tube amp. It's the tube amp that was emulated in the moment. That's why Tone Junkie's Marshall emulation is going to be different from Brit's yeah, right. Marshall emulation. Is, and they're all the same quote-unquote amp. But they're not the same amp because they're not the same amp in a room. And they're not the same cabinet. And they're not the same um, snapshot, so to speak. Well, I'm, not, I'm using it as a profile i think i think people get really bent out of shape about tone a lot more than they should and i know i'm gonna get crucified for saying that and i think (laughs) i think that devices like this that allow you to emulate something i mean the emulations are as close as they need to be to be in 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 all honesty um but i know there are people out there it's like well it's not exactly the same look if i can barely tell the difference I can tell you right now, the audience did stop telling the difference ten years ago. Okay, right. Um, so it's it's time to get over it. So I want to I, I want to talk to that because I'm going to bring up a debate. Yeah, yeah, go for it. That has been 
that has been lingering for a long time. And it's it's gone around this uh, this industry, and it's called the Tonewood debate. And I want to talk about, about it because I want to talk. Before. We have, we have, but I want to talk to it in a different light. So John Bott was talking about how he was listening to Maiden, mm-hmm. right? And you and you said, "Yeah, Crank Marshalls." Yeah, that's that's the sound. The sound right? of Iron Maiden. It is. It's single coil pickups for the most part. There are some. Well, the bridge pickups are are um, no. super strats. No. They're they're always been using. Yeah, I mean, so I thought Murray used a, the time. It's a humbucker, single single. Yeah, but it's but it's they almost never use the neck pickup, and right. and Murray's been a big proponent of putting a putting a neck humbucker in him too. So, yep. uh, but the other two use single no, coils. Not when bridge. I saw them. No, I've bridge? never seen him use single coils. In fact, I was watching. Okay, so they are using super strats today. Yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. That they are using They're super always strats. I thought you were saying that they were using humbucker in the neck. I don't think I've ever seen him yep. play one with an actual single coil in the neck. Yeah, because uh, um, there's an Adri- Adrian Adrian Smith yeah. plays. Uh, yeah, he plays a Jackson. Uh, yeah, right? he's well, which is a Fender. Um, which is he's playing? Yeah, he's playing Jackson's right now. Uh, he still plays Nymnes Destroyer every once in a while. Um, yep. And he's got he has a Les Pauls and SGs as well. So. Yep. And then of course Murray is Les, or uh, Stratocaster all day long, long. And, it's, and he's got four or five different. And it's ones. the same. Yeah. All night he's playing that Super yeah. Strat that he built or he had built. Yeah, it's got a Floyd Rose um, one on it. Yeah. The original yeah. Gen Floyd Rose, which is crazy. And then what's Gers? What's Gers uh, using? Strats. He has yeah. one that's so like he's used to hell. That's probably the one that he, oh, yeah. the only one he that's uses his all number night, one. You know, yeah, that's his number one. So if you look at it, and of course, I mean, let's face it, to to top off the um, the whole Fender thing, uh, Steve is using um, Fender basses, precisions, yeah, but he hasn't always used precisions. No, he used jazzes for a he while. Had, right? No, he had somebody was building him. Or basses. was it Music Man? What? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, they were building them based on the. That's what I said. I was like, it's basically a P bass in a different body, like. Yeah, yeah, and his daughter plays now or something. I think his yeah, daughter I plays. But anyway, um, so you were saying, yeah, Wall of Marshalls, and uh, you know, you look at you look at Iron Maiden, you look at uh, bands like ACDC, and these these rockers. I mean, these real rockers, and. You know, I, I was thinking about the Tonewood debate, and it was it was going through my mind. You know, Tonewood doesn't matter. Tonewood doesn't matter. And then I realized something: at super low volumes, I don't think Tonewood does matter. I think if you're sitting, I you know, at, at I'm, I know that's why I'm bringing this up. Um, what do you what do you think you're I getting think more you, out of at a high volume? Well, you get resonance. From the yeah, from the guitar, I, so yes, that's that's more of an impact. But I can tell you the difference yep. between mahogany and alder. At in the, if you built me, let's say you built me two Les Pauls, right? You built one on a mahogany, one on an alder. You're gonna find that the mahogany one is gonna be darker, the alder one is gonna be a bit brighter. And that's, I mean, that's enough for, in my opinion, to say that's totally bunk. Like I get, I get it from from the perspective of, hey, when I get on stage, like, and I turn up, I'm gonna hear it more. But it makes a difference at any volume. I mean, even acoustically. That's why when you pick up, and, and it's not just, and I said this before, it's not just species. Like, it's literally like two mahogany guitars, because it's totally different. 
and it has a lot to do with the construction methods, but it also has a lot to do with um, if they're identical, you know, just when they cut the wood down or, you know, how dry it was when they started putting the guitar together. Um, I've done this before. I mean, I've taken two of the same guitar and strummed them, and they sound different. Yeah, and we've talked about this before um, on the show. Um, I just wanted to say that 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 when it comes to even if you're you're, it's the word I want. Even if you're a newbie, if you're a you're new to guitar, you get into a room where you can crank that thing up and play it. And there's a there's another thing. If you want the sound of a strat, single coiling a Les Paul or a whatever, that's not the sound of a strat. <laughs> or Never vice versa. Be. Or vice versa. Care. Or vice versa. That's right. Put a humbucker in a Strat does not sound like a Les Paul. No, I'll tell you that no. right now. Or an SG. It sounds like a Strat with a humbucker. That's yeah, what it sounds like. Because It's its own sound. And I learned this the hard way, which is kind of stupid because I sort of already knew it. Um, But with the Ibanez AZ, it's a pickguard mounted humbucker and in a basswood body, right? So two, two things counting against it right there. You're Stole my next point, but yeah, go two for things it. Go for it. Right there. it took away all the attack and the snap from it. It wasn't bright. It was dark. It was super dark um, to the point where I was like, you know what? I just want to keep my other guitars and use those because that's what I'm looking for. So, yep. yeah, once you mount it to plastic. Yeah, that's a yeah. I a Well, you know, it's so you'd think the Les Paul would have more in common with it because of the pickup rings. But those pickup rings are, are are metal and they're screw in most cases. Sometimes they are plastic, but they're screwed to the body. But they're screwed in like directly, right. and there's not much material making contact. Um, I'm still a bigger fan of direct mount pickups, and I wish that even right. if in my I actually kind of consider this, even in my pickguard mounted pickup guitars, putting a block of wood underneath and and gluing it or or screwing it to the guitar so that um, they make contact with it when I install the pickups. Now, yep. I know that there are probably people who've done this before, but um, it's just a thought. Like at some point, I'd like to I'd like to do that as a test, just to see if it makes an impact. And I'm I'm willing to bet it will. I'm willing to bet because because yeah. you can hear it. Like if you've ever played a, a Strat with with direct mount pickups, um, they used to do like the Showman, the Fender Showman, which was like that. Um, it, they weren't direct mount. I think they were they were ring mounted, but they were not. They had no pick guard. And those guitars mm-hmm. sounded different. They did not sound yeah. like a pickguarded guitar. I, my my uh, point that I was getting to is though, if you want the sound of a strap, buy a right. strap. You want the sound of a telly, buy a telly. If you want the sound of a, the of a Les Paul, buy a Les Paul. That. It's that's really it, man. You're not gonna get. You'll get some qualities, but you're not gonna get the quality. It says the, the quality. says the guy that was gonna buy a Parker Fly. So you can play acoustic. Well, acoustic sounds. I know. Uh, I don't know. It, you know, it's not gone yet. That, that that's why that's why those scare me. They sit on the they sit in the market forever. Yeah, it's a wonder. It, it, it'd be a wonder if he ever sells it. He brought it out to the Blues Jam um, beginning of the month, um, and had a few people play it because they were interested yeah. in it, and it's still for sale. That's they were all saying nice things, but the truth of the matter is everybody was fighting for tone out of that thing. Well, the thing is, I think that guitar is polarizing for a number of reasons. The Parker Fly, it's ugly. 
right? Most people would, yep. would say it's ugly. I don't necessarily agree with that, but a lot of people say it's ugly. And um, uh, many people would also say that well, it, it doesn't sound like my Strat or it doesn't sound like my Les Paul. And, and you know what? I think that might be it bullshit, doesn't. to be honest with you. I think that I think the looks are so polarizing that people will make shit up just to just to rationalize when they're gonna get rid of it. I don't yeah. want people to see me with this car. They might like the way it looks, but they're like, man, everybody asks questions and they bother me with it. But it was super light. That I can give it. That was the one thing that I could say. I didn't get to play it. He was handing it off to all these, you know, the the blues cats that were there. That, that is night. so not a guitar for blues. Local blues. Yes. And yeah, and I was like, you're talking the wrong guy. You got a pop guy right here. You're handing off to all these blues guys. I don't guys. even know if it's. A, I don't know what genre that guitar is for. <laughs> I really don't. No. I mean, if you if you had to attack, so like, let's let's back up for a minute. The, the hypothetical. I'm gonna say a guitar company, and I want to. I want you to attach a genre to it. Sure. Telecaster. Country. Stratocaster. Blues. Les Paul. Oh, that's hard one. Rock and blues, though. Uh, blues rock. Let's flying call it that. V. Metal. I, I see. So this is the you and can yet, play this game, and all of these instruments have been used in other contexts. Uh, Albert, that's right. And yet, the flying V really started. Well, Albert with, King was the big user. I mean, that was and he was yeah he blues. was a blues man for sure. He was a blues I wouldn't guy. I would play poker with him. He might get shot. Nope. <laughs> and that, that guy, um, matter of fact, that's the song that's in the song American I Band, so, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, that that stuff um, is, uh, you know, it, we do associate by because. All right, I, I'll give you one. Ready? Uh, BC Rich Metal, without a doubt. Metal. Yet, yet Rick or Rick Derringer yeah, was the guy I who. Know. And and um, the guy who played for Paul Pat yeah. Benatar. Well, that I could see that being. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm just saying that that those are the two guys I knew well. And um, uh, uh, the guy that wrote Frankenstein. Uh, oh, jeez. You mean Why Edgar Winter? Out on his name with Rick Derringer. Winter. <laughs> yes, and he made Rick. Der so Rick Derringer wanted. I think Rick Derringer wanted an eagle, and he said, "No, I play the eagle already. You got to play a rich bitch." And that's that's I'm so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I heard Rick, Rick Derringer on an interview. He was talking about why he got the one he did, and it was because um, Edgar Winter, who he played for, oh, he wrote. I didn't Rick even Derringer really wrote. Realize um, Edgar Winter was a guitar player. I thought he was the uh, keyboardist. Rock and roll, hoochie coo, or was it Johnny Winter? Johnny, was it Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter. Was the, that was the. That's the one that yeah, plays guitar. The... Well played. He's he's no longer with us, but yeah, um, he's the one that passed away first. I think the guitar player. And uh, but anyway, he was the one that said, "Yeah, you can't play one. I play it." So. That's funny. I, you just pointed out something to me, and I'm like, I thought, wait a minute. And I'm thinking, like, I've listened to a lot of Edgar Winter stuff. Like, why don't I know what instrument he plays? Yeah, yeah he's, he's the one at Frankenstein, <laughs> like, right? That was I'm questioning it. I still don't. I'm really not sure. <laughs> but they were they were twins, yeah, uh, right? They, they were um, brothers Edgar at least. Were I don't twins. know if they were twins. Yeah, I, I know, know they, they were, were brothers, twins, but I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me. But it's weird to one have One of them was two... definitely uglier than the other. <laughs> Two albino children, yeah, but it, two albino children from the same. Yeah, they were probably that was, twins. That was like the, case. the freak, yeah, the freak thing that happened um, with them. 
You just you you they should have bought lottery tickets. Yeah. Lot yep. of them. <laughs> or maybe they won the lottery that day if we really stop and think yeah. about it. <laughs> Two incredible um, musicians who couldn't who couldn't go out in yeah. daylight. <laughs> um, what a what a terrible ailment to be stuck with too for the, for like, I know. Anyway, awesome. um I was gonna make a really bad drug joke, but I'm gonna shut my mouth now. Um Yeah, the drugs were there. Yes, they were in sure. force. Um I don't know. I, I the the Tonewood thing, like it's so dead now to me. Like the whole debate. Look, I um I saw a video today, and it was really interesting. Uh, it was um one of the guys comparing a Strandberg and a Kiesel. I think one of the the guitar brothers or whatever. And I don't know what their names are. Jo- Josh something or Josh something. You know, what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Okay. I'm sure our listeners know who I'm talking about. Anyway. Yep. The um, it wasn't a fair fight, right? So the the Strandberg they had had the EMG pickups in it, and I I watched the whole video and I was like, wow, my actually for one thing the Kiesel they had in the video sounds exactly like my Kiesel, and then the other thing is like, it, it at least the sonic footprint is there of the pickups, right? I don't know that if I got them in the same room, I'm pretty convinced they'll be they'll sound different, but um. I was just thinking, like, there you go, right there. Two of the same kind of guitar concept, really light guitar, similar necks, um, fan frets, yep. all the you know, all the stuff. Like the the accoutrements were very similar, yet these guitars were night and day different in tonality. Oh, and yeah. I much preferred the Kiesel. And it wasn't. It isn't because the the Strandberg's bad. It's the pickups. Like I could tell immediately that those EMG pickups were the wrong choice for that guitar. Um, yeah, but. I just to just to put in perspective, like there's a classic example of two guitars, very similar make and model, um, aiming to do the same things. It sounds totally different. And you'll find it across the Stratocaster line too, and it's not just quality of pickups. I can tell you this, because in the in the nineties and early two thousands, I could walk into Mars Music or Guitar mm-hmm. Center, pick up fifteen yep. strats. Of uh, standard strats. All American, American standards, standard and they strats. all sound different. All yep. different. All had a they might feel, be three percent different, but they're all different, yep. and it's not the pickups. It's different. not the pickups. Like I repeat, it is not the pickups that's causing the difference. It is the body nope. woods because you can hear it acoustically, and then you plug it in, and the same characteristics are amplified. And this is back when they let me sit in another room and was isolated. I closed the door. You couldn't hear any reverb. It was nothing, or I say reverb, echo of the room. It was a dead room. It, it was all the guitar, um, an amplifier. I was plugged into either, um, you know, like a Fender Princeton or a um, Marshall uh, DSL. Not once did I feel like I could say definitively, that there were two guitars that sounded alike. And a friend of mine told me, he said, Jim, if you're going out, he said, if you look at a PRS, they're all going to sound pretty much the same. He said, but if you look at the Fender Stratocasters, which is what you want, which is what I wound up buying, I went through, um, I, I kid you not when I say I probably went through 30, 40 Stratocasters, found a used yeah. one in this little shithole shop, right? Sorry about the, the language. In Albany, New York, on uh, Central Ave, it's no longer there. Five hundred dollars used. I sat down. I played it. I said, "This is the mm-hmm. one." And that's the one I played for twenty years. I have, um, I have been 
in that situation where I have literally picked up six or seven guitars of the same make and model. I found one I liked and the rest of them just paled in comparison. And it's not, if anyone thinks that, that we're, Jim and I are blowing smoke or that we're, we're being psychologically impaired, I would ask <laughs> that you do this. Go to a store that has three American standards, play all three of them acoustically, and then plug them in and compare them and try to do it as quickly as possible so you can keep the, the sound in your mind. But you yep. won't need to. You honestly won't need to. You'll know the differences. They're they're going to be pretty obvious. Um, yep. And even your friend that was talking about PRSs, PRS will be more consistent, but they're still gonna yep. they're still gonna vary. They and will vary, just not, not as just, much. It's not just uh, like like a, a fit finish thing. Like they really do vary. Um, and it's not it's not like the blue ones are gonna be better than the green ones. It's literally blue one A is gonna be better than the green one, or blue one blue one A will be better than the other. You know, blue one B. Right. Yeah. And that was the weird thing. I mean, these all had serial numbers that were very close together. Now, this is when you could go to a, um, a guitar center or Mars Music or whatever, and you could find. Yeah, they don't do that anymore tracks. because the lines are so diversified. Now you'll find two. That that was what, how something many, how that How many um, actual so, SKUs is, is Fender putting out this year? I mean, there's like got to be yeah, at least 60. It's a scary number. All I know is I, I talked to. Uh, friends at the Blues Jam, I talked to friends at the open mics, and I talked to friends at the guitar stops. And we're talking customers, not just people yeah. who work there. And I can tell you this, everybody said, I don't know what I'm getting when it comes to Fender. I have no idea. No, you just guess, and you hope. And, and they weren't just talking about the guitars. They were talking to the amps, too. They were like, I don't even know. I mean, I'm afraid I'm going to walk out of the place. I, I, with think a, with the, I think with the circuit board and amps, it's a bunch of hooey, but but that's that's not to say that you get bad tubes or something, you know. No, no, no. I'm just saying that, that they don't know what you'll go to a, to a shop. Let's say my guitar center, right? They've got twelve Fender oh, amps yeah. at any given time, and that's not nearly a, the tip of the right. iceberg in the line of Fender amps. And I'm just talking. Yeah, about you're the talking tubes. about going to the store I'm and looking for the same thing and not stuff. being able to find it. Yeah, no, I guess you. The, 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 I go down the road. Yeah, I go to, the lines, um, too, the, the uh, lines are music. too diverse. Yeah, it's it's nuts. But Fender's telling them, Fender's saying you're in Virginia Beach, so both stores have the same crap, and that's the thing. So if I go to um, uh, Alpha Music, um, two miles down the road from Guitar Center, I can't find different Fender amps because the same Fender rep walks to you know both of those places. Make sure they have the same crap on the wall, and so honestly, with the exception of maybe one or two guitars, Guitar Center actually has a lot more. Um, no, I, I I could go to Guitar Center, I can go to the other one and uh, Alpha Music, um, and get the same stuff. But I don't get a bunch of um, uh, Heidi Tidy. Uh, you can't play our guitars because we're so good that Alpha Music gives me. I can go to Guitar Center. And, yeah, man, take it down. Go take it to the back and play away. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I've experienced this because a lot of the products that I'm after, they never have in stores. Um, yeah. this is why I'm talking about driving to, to, um, Sweetwater. Sweetwater. Because yeah. with all due respect, like even some of the local places, they don't carry brands I'm interested in. They don't. And, 
just because I'm interested now, and I, I don't anticipate them to either. Because just because I'm interested in the brand doesn't mean I would buy it either. And it may be right. this may be the the mindset of many people um, that are going after these brands too. But I'm willing to like go and try a brand. I'll drive four hours to go do it. Um, right. But I'm gonna be there all day, and I expect to be at least treated with respect. Guitar Safari. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of basically what it is. Um, but I think, you know, there are people that buy things like custom cars and stuff, and they'll fly out to see it while it's in production. And I think yep. when you look, guitar is an expensive hobby, right? Like the only other expensive hobbies I can think of that even are come close to like firearms and uh, and yep. like cars. And Golfing. well, I, yeah, but you don't. You're not going to spend a thousand bucks on one club. I mean. No, but oh you well, you, you definitely can, can talk to some of the scratch golfers I know, and they'll tell you that there's some drivers. Yeah, but why would they? So I mean, so I, you're not on the pro tour. I mean, I, it's the same argument as why the show exists, right? Um, and I laugh because I'm like, well, I don't think anything of spending like a tank of gas if I'm going to go spend you know twelve hundred dollars or two thousand dollars on an instrument, right? I think I've told the story. I drove all the way to D.C. to try out um, uh, Rickenbacker bases because I wanted a Rickenbacker base. And the only place that had Jet Glow, Maple Glow, um, I don't remember what the blue one's called, Sapphire Glow or whatever the heck it is, and Fire Glow, the only place that had more than one color and more than one base was this little place outside of D.C., just north of the city. I had to drive I had to drive six hours to get there. Stay with a friend in uh, Hagerstown, um, uh, West Virginia, and then drive home the next day. Yeah. I And uh, all to get a base. $1,200 base. $1,200 at that time, $1,200 base. So. Brand new. That's kind of what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting at, though, is like, we're, we live in a world where there's no variety to get this stuff. Yep. So we would have these Tonewood arguments like you can't even prove it anymore. You really can't. And I know right. I've seen a lot more material lately from reputable sources saying, no, Tonewood absolutely does matter. It, it may not be the impact you think it is, but it does matter. Um, yep. But I can remember when all that that firestorm was going on and there was people, you know, taking planks of wood three years and ago, one string it on it in a pickup and then using the same pickup and a different plank of wood. And you're going, yeah, but there's so many other variables involved in this. Yeah. Mathematically, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but and sure, then, well, then they'd show you their, their, um, they'd have, where were we, Jim, before we were so rudely interrupted by squad no. cats. Sorry, folks. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got knocked off. Um, Somebody got knocked off. I don't know. Weird situation. No, we were never, just we were never just happened with the service. The the Tonewood debate is a dead debate. There's just nothing mathematically sound about what any of these folks did. Physically sound. The the um anyone who's ever done a science experiment in the seventh grade could blow holes in what they did. I mean, it just it's not even it's not even that. It's they they wanted to appear like they were being super scientific about it, right? And it's like, oh well, now I'm gonna have show you my frequency analyzer. Yeah, and you're like, I'm not really even sure what I'm looking at here. You know, the, it could it could just be somebody using paint. 
you know, <laughs> drawing well, the frequencies in. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Right. Well, I think the funniest part of that, honestly, was when when I was watching it, when I was looking at it, I'd see the the frequencies. Um, their their frequency analyzer missed harmonics. Like it yeah. was like, where are any of the harmonics in this thing? You're you're showing me bass frequencies. There is no such thing as a clean sine wave anywhere from any guitar pickup. <laughs> well, and then it was like, here's here's this uh, frequency this frequency pattern, and then it'd be like, well, there's no discernible differences. But you'd look at the pattern, you go, that's different than the other one. It is. What different. are you talking about? Oh, well, it's not statistically different. Bullshit. Yes. Bullshit. If I could see it with my naked eye, that's different enough. <laughs> I, that's that's the other thing I was going to say. It, the sine waves weren't even something that you could actually match. You know. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, it wasn't. Any. Just, uh, it's just the whole the whole like all of those testing videos were just nuts. Nah. And now and now it's all died down, right? You don't yeah. see people on the internet bitching about it anymore. You know what? Well, the that's people because that say the tone wood doesn't matter. It's the same freaking people that tell you to tune down to four thirty two hertz or whatever. Yeah. Well, those are the same guys who who ran away from the internet because their their butts were hurt. Oh yeah, that guy did. Yeah, two of them, uh, Scott Gorman or something. Scott, no, yeah, the, the, the mystical, the mystical. Uh, we're gonna make all the planets align. Let's everybody play at four thirty two hertz yeah. right now. Because yeah. there's no historical significance backing this up whatsoever. None. But <laughs> I can say this, that there is a brown sound because it's been proven by South Park. And if South Park did it, it's yeah, got to be real. Clearly, that's, that's as much proof as these people had. <laughs> exactly. That was my point. <laughs> See, I can deliver it with a freaking straight face too. I'm sorry. You can. <laughs> I don't know what it's happened so to get you in that state, Jim. I'm just saying, no, that's what they were doing. They were like, they were the same thing as when South Park proved the, the brown set, the brown note. Um, the, there is no such thing. And there's no such thing. There is no scientific factual Basis for basis for using four thirty two, four thirty two tone wood is crap. Uh, using using uh, uh, modeling amps is unethical. And uh, what other, what other myth do we want to talk about today? Because there's got to be something else. How about the the myth that you should never use an oil on your um, fret, uh, rosewood fretboard? That's that is completely false. That's another one. I don't think any who's told you that. Uh, I'm telling you, I see it all the time on on. Um, uh, what was that? Uh, I'd love Harmony to see their Central. How 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 and, cracked their fretboards? Oh yeah, are. that's what I was. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I get it. You're not supposed to put it on a on a. Well, there are certain maple. types of oil you're not supposed to use. That's right. Which is why I use Dunlop. You know. Yeah, I always buy I'm... like a guitar specific product. Exactly. I know that I'm getting ripped off. But I in know, actuality, yeah, I want to I want to be sure that you know. And yeah, not, you don't want to oversaturate. Yeah, you don't want to use isopropyl alcohol like, on your fretboard. Right, but they were like, "Well, you can just use blah blah blah. And if you use, you know, if you use too much oil, it's going to make your your frets lift." What? No, it, that's it, a bunch of horse shit. Yeah, if you dip your headstock in the yeah, and you let it saturate, <laughs> you for let like it two sit days. there for a couple of days and pull it out. Oh wow, look, my frets fell out. <laughs> But that's not going to happen if you put it, a drop it eat, of... What, you just going to eat all the glue that's in there? What the... So I, so I heard... The, listeners, please chime in. Maybe this is a question for, for our buddy next week. Um, I've heard that some import guitars they don't glue the frets in. They just press them and leave them. 
Really? Anybody, anybody know any validity to this? I've never heard any. Because yeah. every import I've ever picked up, you could always see the glue on the fret. Oh, you could well, see it like right around. Are you the talking base of the about some of the inexpensive Chinese imports that we're talking well, about? Well, that I could believe they're they're not gluing them in, but I mean, if you can see the glue on the edge of the fret, like if there's glue there, because I because I I was looking um I was looking to have a guitar uh, pl plucked, and one of the service charges was inexpensive imports. Uh, all all frets need to be glued, like they need to take them out and glue them, or they need to wick glue into the crack. Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> into the crack. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, why? Why? Because because you say there's no glue in there, or because you know? Because don't tell me that I bring in my you know my uh, Japanese Les Paul from the seventies that that I'm going to have to have it reglued. You're crazy. They exactly. just attack on that charge. Um, so I didn't talk to him, so that it might be one of those things where like they just tell you what it is when you go in. But um, that's a possibility. But yeah, they're also way overcharging for their plaque, which they four hundred dollars to have your have your guitar plaque. I can take it. I can take it to Sweetwater. It's a three hour drive, but it's only two hundred dollar a two hundred dollar option. Yeah, and I can have the guitar refretted there too if I wanted for twenty five dollars in gas. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the thing will be twenty five dollars, well, I guess. But but it's going to be yeah. I mean, it's going to be forty bucks. Yeah. Total. Yeah. So it's like. Two hundred forty dollars versus four hundred dollars, and I could pay. I could pay an additional two hundred to have the guitar refretted. Wow, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, make I do. Sense? No, it does not. Um, so I'm not. By the way, I'm not going to get it done. But I was just, I was just curious. I was investigating what that cost. Yeah. Um, so you know, you stop and you think about the snake oil. They, our industry, since we're talking about these myths and things, our our industry is known for like the snake oil crap yep like the fat finger perfect example nobody really knows whether that thing actually works nickel strings which oh, i yeah. i can tell you right now there are people out there that will defend it till the end of the earth that they would rather use the pure nickel strings because they like the sound of them better than the than the um the alloy strings that right. they they put out now um and you might, I and I'm sure, because I've done the test, like, I'm sure that there are people out there that do, but I'll bet you there's a lot more people that just say, well, I want to use them because everybody else used them, and yeah. they don't really know the difference. And so if they were to try and, and do an A-B recording test, they would probably stick with the alloy strings. Yeah. Um. I I was curious about this, and, and I actually performed that test, and what I found the alloy to be was like... Like the your standard strings, right? Like what you get from anybody that's that doesn't say pure nickel on it, basically. Exactly. Um, would be uh, a more focused tone, not as bright, rounder. Um, whereas the the other strings are way more open, less present, uh, a lot more treble going on, but like less present in the sense that they they're not focused. Um, and I didn't really see any benefit using the nickel ones because we all know that the regular nickel strings break down faster so um just case in point like do your research bust your own myths you can do it easily it's not that hard um do we got what oh the what about the cables people people buying like the super oh my expensive God. cable and the directional cables yeah well directional cables so i i i'm I out I, i'm on. not i'm not waiting because i don't agree, i don't agree with it but um and you do you do know what it's based on. 
Yeah. NASA's done a lot of research on directional cable. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's driving a lot of the myth there. Yep. But um, I do not believe that directional cable is a thing. And I also – at least not a, a, a an auditory thing. Okay. The the problem with it, at least as far as what I can what I can gather from the information I've gotten, is a directional cable and in auditory frequencies. Now that's what I'm saying. It, like you've got to get frequencies that get higher. And when we're trying to pass like you know gigabits, terabits of, of data across a line, yeah, now we're talking about where now those those coils in that directional and. You know exactly where your turns are is, is a lot more finite, but when you're talking about throwing audio, yeah. which is what? How many hertz at the yeah. highest? Two thousand hertz? Yeah, at twenty thousand. Twenty thousand hertz. Yeah, yeah. twenty thousand hertz. That is nothing, folks. That is nothing. Um, and it's and it's not digital. That's the whole no. beauty of analog. And people, here's another thing you, you can miss remember. a few things in your signal, and you won't be able to tell. That's right. Here's another thing that people have to remember because I, I, I think they forget. You don't want perfect. No. Perfect sounds sterile. Perfect sounds perfect. It doesn't sound fun. It's. It sounds like the opposite of Gemini. Yes. It, it's just. You're listening to this show. You must like us. Yeah, I mean, or one of us anyway. Far, you probably like Jim more than you like me. So. If you've gotten this far, you like Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Because uh, I'm I talk an idiot. Too much? Cause, cause, yeah, because I've got three little amplifiers right here, and none of them are really super cool. But um, the, how's that? How's that katana doing for you? It's great. You see it right there? Yeah, is it, is it sticking around? Yep, that's sticking gonna, around. I'm just, I'm, I, we're running a. Pool. No, it's got to stick around. I need it for, I need it for practices. I absolutely, I, I missed it. But the funny thing is, I've got that little forty right here, the forty XL. It's sitting. You can't see it. It's we're, over by my. We're running a pool for you, Jim. Yeah, you should financial pool. You should see how long Jim goes before he has to buy another katana. S- sells the sells the katana. No, I'm not. But I'm not selling. No, no, katana. not selling it, but buys another one. Oh yeah, well, that that could happen. Um, but, uh. So anyway, no. If I would buy a new another Marshall DSL 40C, but before I bought another Katana, the fact is that I'm going to buy the Kemper, and then that's going to be the Marshall. So you're going to teach me how to profile this freaking thing, and then I'm going to profile. Be easy, super easy, I'm not barely an inconvenience. You. I'm just going to tell you: stick a damn mic in front of it, listen to it through headphones, and profile the thing. Not that hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna you're going to tell us about how to do that next time. So anyway, I got my – the thing that um, I was getting at is perfection is not rock and roll guitar. I mean, if you were a jazz player, Hell you wouldn't no. like us anyway because we're not jazzy enough. We're not sitting here They're not perfectionists either. And, you know. They're not perfectionists either. Classical musicians are perfectionists, right? Okay. Yeah, classical. But, but – so I'm glad you bring this up because I'm wearing – what am I wearing, Jim? I'm wearing – Iron Maiden's Legacy of the Beast Legacy tour the Beast. t-shirt. And here's what's funny. He's got he's got four um the 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 Legacy of the Beast has four um, w- windows. It's got the Trooper, Seventh, seventh Son of the Seventh Son, um Number of the, the Beast, Beast and uh Power, Power Slave. Slave. What's funny is I went to every one of those tours. There's more. Oh wait. Wait, there's more. <laughs> wait, there's more. They're all oh, they're wait. all on there basically. Okay. Um the Virtual 11 I didn't go uh, to that tour. This is a uh, peace of mind, I think. I went to that tour. 
What's oh the, no no the, these are no. so I have to think about this because I think these are actually references to other songs on songs on the albums because yeah. I was going to say one of them yeah and there's the, more there, the one there there's more in the nipple line too there's oh see I'm not staring well. at your nipples yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff hidden in this shirt but anyway yeah. um the reason why I bring this up is because if you've listened to Maiden recently and I was having a conversation with uh, the guys I went to show with like their last couple of albums they sound really good they sound like a modern metal band in the last couple of albums and it's like for me, Iron Maiden's best best years were really from like the first four albums. The 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 sound well, of those four albums. Not that they didn't continue to write great songs and make great music, but those first four albums is ugly and rough and and like dangerous. Now are you talking about the Pauliano years? Yeah, even those two. Like yep. Pauliano was on uh, Iron Maiden Killers, and yep. then Number of the Beast. Right is great. Yep. And That's then, Dickinson's um, first album. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. And then actually, I like Power Slave as well. So the first five records are the best for me, and then after that, they start to get like into this more like let's settle in, you know, and let's do the let's really until they until they switch singers, and then they went back to Bruce Dickinson. When they came back, they were very like the albums were very produced yeah. and very perfect too... and like squeaky clean. And yep. that's where I'm like, ah, you know, I still love the music. I still listen to that stuff, but I, f f the first five are where it's at for me because they're ugly. Like, I don't want my rock and roll to sound clean. I yep. want it to be kind of ugly and nasty. If I, I want think, it clean, I go listen to club music. I think that's what people hated about when uh, John Mutt Lang got his hands on any bands. Um but because uh, he would overproduce everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only if you the listen, only difference, the only one there where he didn't was ACDC. That's right. Because they wouldn't let him. Yeah. Those yeah. two guys were like, yeah, you. Um, where Def Leppard was like, him. oh yeah, we love him. Oh yeah. Um, but if you take, because uh, he only did um, for them, uh, well, three albums. Wasn't he Def, did. Uh, wasn't it Def Leppard that bitched that it took him like three months to do one drum track or something? Oh yeah. Well, um, so ACDC did. Uh, um, Highway to Hell, they did Back in Black, and they did uh, For Those About to Rock. And then they were like, get this guy out of here. Can't stand the way he's telling us what to do. Did you but know, those are, did you know those are their highest selling albums. That when Iron Maiden was signed originally, they were in competition to be the, – the other band they were in competition with on signing was Def Leppard. Yeah. That, they had, <laughs> that the company that signed them had to choose between them or Def Leppard, and they chose Iron Maiden. Yep. Uh, now, so you would think – they lost, right? Because they picked Iron Maiden. But what right. you have to remember is that Iron Maiden has sold a hundred million records. Yeah, nobody lost. See, the, yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Maiden was a groundswell of fandom. I mean, you didn't hear them on the record, or I mean, on the radio. You didn't see them. You saw a couple of videos now and again on like uh, what was that? What was that show they did on MTV? Headbangers the, the, Ball. Headbangers Ball. But nothing really like. They, they didn't have a lot of stuff. Flight of the Icarus was a, a video I think we saw once in a while. And, um, oh, Run to the Hills. Yeah, everybody Run to the Hills, the, which is the stupidest the comical, music video ever. It's terrible. And there's another one where they did it where they, they know they're not playing their instruments. So Dickinson's grabbing a guitar and, and somebody else is playing bass. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're all playing the wrong instruments because they know that. They, and they just messed it up completely. And they're having, having fun with it. But here's – so for me – Everything through Fear of the Dark is is awesome. I can I can sit and listen to my entire Maiden catalog right up through Fear of the Dark, 
and I love it. But I bought that last album, uh, well, not the most recent one, but the one before that, and I said, it's just too... Okay. I, I found a couple songs. So the last one the, was really good. The one before was... That's the one I got. The one yeah. before that's really good. And then Brave New World is probably the best they've done since... I love Brave New World. When, Bra- when, when Bruce came back, so... Yeah. Yeah, Brave New World is awesome. But yeah, they... No, so they even acknowledge, I think the last record was like a departure for them. I think they were trying some different things. Yep. And that was kind of their... But then they've, they've come out with one since then that's actually better. Um, I... I could literally sit and listen. That's the thing about those those first albums. I can listen yeah. to them front to back. I could tell you every track, every note, every lyric, everything yeah, about those albums. Yeah, I, I I absolutely love them. And you know who their first who their first uh, their first uh, big tour partner was, right? It won't who? surprise you. Kiss. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Kiss, of course. Kiss. Kiss was. Kiss was everybody's. It's it, you know, yeah. Kiss is the village bicycle. Everybody's well, had a you ride. Know why, mean. right? Because because <laughs> Paul's like Paul's sitting there going, or Paul and, and Gene are sitting there going on the sides talking to uh, to the A and R guys and going, yeah, you can partner anybody you want with us, but you're going to have to pay us because we'll make them a star, and that yeah. was kind of their thing. Like, oh, did, we'll take Rush. anybody on the road with us. Well, yeah, but that's devil dipping, man. Like, that's not how that's supposed to work. They should have been I'll tell you it. what, though, you know, Getty Lee's in a place where he could te- he could tell everybody that Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley were a holes, but he doesn't. He I, says I that they know. learned so many great things from. Them. I'll say this much: like Kiss may put on a big rock show, but if you heard, if you've heard like Paul Diano singing with Maiden in the, like around the time that Killers came out, I just don't know how you could ha- let those guys open up for you. I don't oh, yeah. like that's got to be murder. I I don't yeah. know what kind of rock show they were putting on after that because. That, dude, it was like that's like you know when when Led Zeppelin uh, toured the first time and they were and they were opening up for uh, Iron Butterfly halfway through the tour. Oh, Iron, yeah. Halfway through the tour, Iron Butterfly calls them on the bus and they're like, "No, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to open for you." Yep. Because <laughs> they were like, "This is not working." But but I mean that's that's kind of a similar situation. Like at some point, the the old band like has to learn the new tricks or they're gonna get they're gonna get crushed. And uh, especially with a band like Iron Maiden. Um, oh, yeah. Even Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, like all of those bands from that era. Even Saxon. I would be terrified if I was Kiss and I had Saxon opening for me. I would be terrified. <laughs> because it's like, we don't have any of that. All we have is fire and blood spitting. Which is cool. Like, I get it. Yeah. But musically, like, you can't compete. You just can't. Um, they Yeah, they didn't. Well, think about they didn't try. Think about you like know, some of the pairings that could have happened in the late '80s too, like like Poison with uh, with Slayer opening for Poison. It never happened. It would never happen. But could you imagine if like Slayer yeah. had opened for Poison? Oh, good lord! <laughs> but think about think about Kiss um, having hey, let's get this Van Halen guys to open up for us. I mean, yeah. Well, that was another one. I I saw that and I'm like, because I knew about that one, and I'm going. Are they out of their minds? And and it was it all came down to this. I'm rubbing my fingers together because of money. Yeah. It it it, it all came down to to finance. Like Ed Templeman over at, at Warner Brothers was like, "We'll pay." And yep. I'm sure Gene Simmons was like, "All right, bring them on." You know. That's right. Um. And and they didn't care because they knew that like they had a legion of fans and it wasn't going to be an That's issue. Right. But um. 
You got you to gotta understand one thing. When it comes to KISS, KISS is like the Grateful Dead. They're like um, uh, Jimmy Buffett. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are – They are. you can call them hard rock metal. No matter how good – no matter how good they actually end up being on stage as musicians, the fans are so excited to see them, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And I'll tell you right now that the, that the rabid Maiden fans, the rabid yeah, Rush like fans too. are the same way. They go to – I knew people – when I was at the Rush concert, I knew people had seen every single – show and and that's only in those bands that have that rabid thing that acdc the aerosmiths the you know those kinds of things there's not a lot of people that are in the current musical genres now that actually have that kind of rabid fan base and i i hate to admit it but there's guys like luke bryan he's got a rabid fan base you know that that uh, follow him everywhere and the kiss guys they knew how to play to us they knew how to play to our sensibilities as, as um you know kids i mean gene simmons is 70 years old he's wearing 70 70 71 he's wearing 50 pounds of yeah caramel yeah. metal well he's, you know what you know what's hilarious about that it's like after all these years, they couldn't have figured out a way to make that stuff way less. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's get – no. But see, that was – somebody asked him. They said, why don't you go to – he said, because the second somebody finds out we're, we're wearing styrofoam versions of what we were wearing before, they're going to call us Are out on Are you telling me they can't pay somebody to keep their mouth shut? Saying. I, I'm just – And look at – and the guy that's youngest in the band – Who's Tommy Thayer, right? He's like 25 years younger, 20 years younger than the other guys. He's my age or, or younger. And Tommy Thayer is out there wearing the spacesuit. His shoes only weigh like 18 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> you got then you've got Gene Simmons, who is the oldest member of the band, yeah, by the yeah, way. Right, right. Wearing the most weight. And you can tell, I mean, it's it hurts him a little bit to get around. It's you can see the pain in his face, and you can see the the um slower movement when he's on stage where bruce dickinson man the videos you guys sent the videos you shared holy crap it nothing that that nothing guy, is gonna stop him nothing not cancer nothing. not death like no. i i just can't believe it no live after death is gonna be him he's gonna come up from the grave yeah, he's gonna and be go as a zombie he's basically and what's he's gonna, gonna happen. yeah He's just going to keep going. Flesh falling off his face. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be Eddie. I don't need to eat anymore. He's going to be Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Waters for losers. Yeah. yeah he, <laughs> right with the ancient murder, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he is, he is the, the epitome of a rock god. Rob Halford is another guy that's an epitome Dude, of a rock god. And you know what the thing is? Like their age, if you, if you look at how old they are, um, they're yeah, getting into Rolling Stones territory. That's right. And <laughs> so if you put it in perspective, like you got Mick Jagger that looks like his looks like his head's about to fall off. And you got um well, the whole band looks like they're about to die, right? Like they look like they're gonna keel over and say, yet they'll still tour. Can you imagine like that situation with Iron Maiden? They're still gonna be rocking because it cause that those dudes did not abuse their bodies the way everybody else did. No. Well, if you look, um, you mentioned uh, um, some very key key people in there. Rob Halford, 68 years old. Okay. Yep. Steve Harris is 63. Yeah. Um, Nico McBrain is 67. Yep. Bruce is 61. Um, and you mentioned uh, um, 
Mick Jagger. Uh, Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger. You know, the funny thing is, love or hate Mick Jagger, Mick Jagger took so good care of himself that when he went in, he, he just had cancer. Yeah. Actually, no, he had uh, a heart problem, yeah, right? Yeah, it was a heart issue. I think it, had heart, he had a heart issue. He had his something. heart bypassed, all kinds of stuff. He was back on the road two months later. I know people that can't have their, you know, a, a, a mole removed and be back on the road two months later. I mean, it's just the guy, because he takes such great care of himself. He's, he's 10 years senior, so he's 76, by the way. Yeah. Jagger is. Yeah, that's, that's, he's not a young man, and he's out there still doing it. I'm not saying. Do you know what's it, really crazy? Keith Richards is younger than he is. I know. And Keith Richards looks like he's what? He looks great for 102. Is he a year <laughs> younger or two years younger? I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. He's uh, – Because I know he's, I I know he's younger, he's but I don't think he's like younger. super younger. No. Okay, 75. Yep, so he's a year younger. Charlie Watts is 78. Yeah, Steven dude, Tyler – Charlie Steven Watts Tyler, doesn't even play the whole set anymore, I don't think. No, I don't. I think, think so he either. plays like half of it or something. Yep, which is hilarious. But um, I'm just saying that that these guys, and I think it, rock and roll is going to turn more and more like this as time goes on because guys like John Mayer don't go out and get stoned and drunk. And yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have a lot more longevity and, and staying power. Yeah, we're gonna have people who live a lot longer. Well, Keith Urban and I was uh, Brad Paisley and um, I was shocked that Eric Clapton retired well his his he can't move his hands as much anymore yeah but that, that doesn't stop most of these people from from performing something um i i don't think i think that because he can't do any uh, or all of it he's not going to do any of it i think that's the kind of guy he is well he's he's uh what 74? he's what 73 74 i think he's 74 yeah 74 yeah that makes sense um so i mean yeah i get it I, I just think it's funny that the Rolling Stones is still trying to cash in, and like they're like they said that was what I told my wife. Like you gotta understand, Iron Maiden is like ten years younger than them, and they've still remained relevant to their fans. Whereas Rolling Stones, like I don't know any of their music from the last twenty years, none of it. I don't Nothing. know any of the stuff from the late eighties. No, once it, to be honest with you, Exile on Main Street was the turning point. Most people either loved it or hated it, but that was the end of it. Right. Um, you take, okay, Bruce Dickinson. Um, I just thought this is funny. He's the same height as me. Actually, he's shorter than I am. He's 5'6". Okay. I'm 5'7". So he's... <laughs> You're still taller than Steve guy. Stein. I am. I'm five, I'm five inches taller than Steve Stein. <laughs> yeah, you definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> Having met but, him, uh, you definitely are. Now that, yeah, you met him, right? Yeah, you should have got us. You should have got a picture next to him. To I didn't want to make him look bad. No, he, I'm he kidding. Actually, what I wanted to do, I wanted two. to get, I wanted to get Josh Scott to stand next to Steve Stein because Josh oh, Scott is like ten feet tall. Yeah, <laughs> it would be great to get Steve Stein and you like could, uh, you Greg, stack two Greg Steve Steins. <laughs> yeah, and then and then Greg Cock on the other side. Yep. Actually, that and would be a good guy, boxing match. Greg Cock versus um, Josh Scott in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I who's the guy from uh, Reverend? Um, oh, Reverend I forget Guitars. his name offhand, but I know Ke you're talking Kevin about. Kevin Haas, yeah. Ken Haas. He's a big guy, too. He's tall, tall, tall dude. Um, so, yeah, I did, uh, um, but anyway, that's that's outside the point. The, the point is, 
that we're taking better care of ourselves. Um, you're you're doing the stuff with the wrist things. Um, you know, you yeah. you don't I do wish drugs. I could take better care of myself. You don't do drugs. You don't even drink at all, no, right? No. I I drink very rarely. I've had the same twelve pack for like seven months, and I've still got four of them in there. Um, yeah, see, drinking isopropyl alcohol—that's <laughs> good stuff. Um, I drink. This is my vice, my diet Pepsi, yeah. um, and I only drink two a day. Uh, Jim will be um, dead in three years. Yep, diet probably Pepsi. rat poison. Yep, it's rat poison. That's what they tell me. Um, every time I pick one up, somebody's like, "You know, you're poisoning yourself." Shut up. <laughs> Shut, and while they while they down uh, six beers, they'll like, yeah, you know, you're poisoning yourself. Oh yeah. Sure, thanks. Um, I know it's not good for me, but come on, you could, you could. T- and then, of course, I've never smoked pot, no, nope. ever in my life. No, nope. I've me never neither. done. I've been around any plenty drugs. of people who did. Nope. Yep. Uh, never dropped acid. Never done any of that. I am the lamest rock and roll musician you'll ever meet in your life. Well, I'm super lame. Uh, if I drank, you guys know how angry I get. Um, yeah, I would probably be the mean drunk. So yeah, see, I'm a happy drunk, but I would just let it all hang out and then you're all in trouble. (laughs) I'm a one beer guy. So I'll have a beer and then I'm like laughing about everything. I'm like, they're like, are you stoned? No, I'm kind of, I've seen Jim, I've seen Jim drunk and that's basically what happens. Yeah. Um, If I drink, the problem is I will probably think that it's worth it to pick a fight with anybody. And then I'll also be invincible. So yeah. (laughs) Beer muscles. Yeah. What is that? There's a country song about that. Uh, It's bro country for sure. Pro country, pro country. <laughs> we we do that here when when we uh, we talk to people. It's like because when you try to make the decision, uh, you're a, you're a cover band, right? And you try to make decisions what songs to play. It, invariably, you kind of gotta um, almost always say, oh, you know what? I'm gonna pick a pro country song. And so we're like, all right, what song is it gonna be from pro country? And then we, because <laughs> that's our our way of saying that we're we're. Going to the radio station to pick a broke country song. Usually it's Johnny Cash, uh, which a lot of people like. Or that's not broke country. Um, I hate I hate Wagon Wheel. To be honest with you, yeah, I I would rather stick one. a hot needle in my eye and leave it there <laughs> than play Wagon Wheel. But I know you've everyone. played Wagon but Wheel. But then again, <laughs> no, I have never played that song. Oh, I thought you Here's said you another. had. No, I was asked to. Ah, that's but I did not what it play. Was. I would not play. You know what's funny? I don't know the song. Good. And here's the other thing. Here's the other side of it. So I'll tell you another song I hate that I have had to play. I'll tell you two of them. Closing time. Oh, that's by Semi Sonic. I freaking hate that song. As a singer, first of all, I hate the. I hate anything that's just four chords all the way around. Never changes anywhere. And that is one of those songs. But the other thing I hate about it is as a singer, every line starts with closing time, closing time, closing. Jim, I'm like, you're getting too close to I singing can't, it. Yeah. I can't – I can't – what the heck am I supposed to sing next? What's the damn line? It all starts the same. It's it, it's like having something that's uh, – what do they call it? Uh, not onomatopoeia, but uh, when all the letters are the same. Alliteration. Thank you. Yep. You know, English major. Um, she sells. She sells by the seashore. Yeah, she sells sanctuary. But um, then there's there's she sells uh, shit. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I love the song. She sells sanctuary. By the way, but uh, then there's another song by Blues Traveler that everybody knows. You know, I hate. Blues I don't Traveler. even know. 
I can't I can't even think of the name of the song. There's like a whole period of music there. Like but it's right. four chords played in a circle. And and the, and I can live with four chords played in a circle. But they're never varied. It's never like okay, hit this one harder or do this no. Yeah, because it's, it's probably a the loop in the same studio. strumming pattern. Dude, dude. All do you remember through. like that period of music where it was like Blue <laughs> Traveler and yep. Hootie and the Blowfish? Hootie and the Blowfish. And, like, Alanis Who Morissette is Wagon Wheel? And like Alanis Morissette. Yeah. And um, there was something else. Like there was, but it, oh, Dave Matthews came out of that same period. Dave too. Matthews. Oh my God, dude! Like that was the that was the dark ages. Is what that was. Uh-huh. Oh my God! If that was what was on college rock radio and people were actually buying it. Like, who was going through college? Is that why Trump is in, in office right now? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We are about to get hate mail. I don't care if I get hate mail. Everybody I, just I, hey, subscribe. I didn't say who I voted for. <laughs> so I let's did, not even yeah. get into that whole mess. Let's just say, folks, I don't vote. <laughs> so you can't blame any of it on me. I'm just, I don't I'm care. I'm just saying, like, there's, there's no, a lot no of crazy decisions that have happened in douche. our country in the last, like, 10 years. And, I, and yep. not just that one, but a lot of crazy decisions that have happened at the national level where I'm kind of like yep. sitting there wondering, like, who's actually doing the voting now? Who's who's at the wheel? Yeah, who yeah, does I mean, because it's got to be like the Hootie and the Blowfish generation. It has to be. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be like just, you know, the thing is, you, you mentioned Dave Matthews and Dave Matthews is a polarizing thing. He's kind of like the Grateful Dead. I cannot. Uh, he's today's no, Grateful no, Dead. No, I refuse. That's too much credibility. I'm just saying that there are people – first of all, you have to give the fact that his band is made up of some top-notch, super good musicians. His songs, to me – What have they done outside folks, of his band? I hate his music. I cannot what stand it. What have they it. done outside of his it band? It all feels the same to me. You could say they're top-notch musicians all, all day till you're blue in the face. But what have they done outside his band? I don't know a single one of those dudes from anything else. Yeah, me either. And it's like – you would say, oh, they're top-notch musicians. You say something like Frank Zappa, and you look at his band and the tenure of people before and after they were in his group. Like, that totally makes sense to me. But I've heard people say that. And then, Jim, I'm not getting angry at you. I'm, I'm, no, I, no. I've I heard can... people say this about Dave Matthews. They go, what are you talking about? Like, wh- who, who – I don't even know one of the members of his band. Not one of them. And, and he himself is so like, oh, he's such a great musician. How? 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 There's an entire genre of music that sounds just like he does, but we don't hear it here in the States, so he sounds exotic because he's yeah. from South Africa and he's playing South African folk music. Yep. Um, now, as I, as I pick my go-to... Because he uses a lot of weird, like, weird tunings, right? I hated he uses him a lot before of... he did the Chicago Mess Up, which I don't know if anybody has heard about this. So his tour bus was here in Chicago. He's not allowed to play in a city anymore, by the way. Uh, that is my understanding. Uh, that may have been lifted, but he usually plays in an area around the city because he got in trouble for dumping his sewage into the Chicago River off oh of his God. tour bus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's no longer allowed to play in the city limits is my understanding. Uh, wow. And it's not even that because I hated him before that. What a bunch of sh- But, dude <laughs> – when they, when that song Crash came out, how long is Crash? It's like nine minutes long. Oh my god! It, it, first of all, I can't. I, it, it's boring. I'm, to me. I'm getting there. Uh, this is coming from your your pop music guy. Yeah, dude. So 
they used to play it on the alternative rock station here all the time, which that's basically what I listen to, right? Um, and it is, I mean, I th- I think it's like seven minutes long. Uh, I'm looking to see. Crash into me. No, it's like five minutes and sixteen seconds long, right? Oh, it just seems like nine minutes long. Oh, well, the time slows down. The last down when song on that record is nine minutes long. <laughs> I cannot understand why anyone would want to listen to Dave Matthews for nine minutes. I would slip my wrist. I, I, I don't <laughs> get it. When he comes to when he comes to town in uh, Saratoga Performing Arts Center, where I used to go, it it was like he he'd sell out three days in a row, three shows. All right. So. Here's the funny thing, right? So the reputation for Dave Matthews in in my neighborhood is that's where you go if you want to score uh, cocaine. Yeah, I would imagine it'd be it's like, that kind of show. Like I said, he's the he's the Grateful Dead of today. I mean, as far as I've the, known people, his fan base, I have known people who've gone to see Dave Matthews just for cocaine. Like, and they'll talk yeah, about it. And I say, believe you know, that. I went there to do cocaine because that's where you get all the good stuff. I'm like, yeah. are you crazy? Well, there was a whole there was a whole section but, but, of people yeah. who so you, the whole reason they went to see the Grateful Dead was to get to get high. Yeah, but I think the Grateful Dead, like I, I you believe me, I don't like the Grateful Dead's music. Like, and I probably gonna get some hate mail for that. Um, I don't like the Grateful Dead. I've never liked the Grateful Dead, but I can understand why people would go to their shows because of the, the musicianship. Because I know everybody was going to right. get high too. Jimmy Harris, but I don't think and... you necessarily need to get high. To go to a Grateful Dead show and appreciate it. Um, So, but Dave Matthews, like, that music doesn't, like, that music seems like you need drugs to appreciate it. Like, it's, it it honestly does nothing for me. Uh, His voice is irritating. The musical performances are garbage, in my opinion. Um, They're not garbage. Like, look, they're doing a very good job of doing the very simple rock music and making it sound like it's a jam band. Because they are not a jam band. No. No. That's just it, though. It's structured. It's it, not even, like it's not even. So, y- yes, Jim, absolutely right. It's structured, but you know what it is? Like when you play a song of Crash, there's no variety in that song whatsoever. It doesn't go anywhere. There's right. no real jamming going on. Like they're not. And there's so many opportunities in it. You you know you would think that when they do it live, they would take it to a new place. Now, well, so nah. when you. <laughs> When you stop and you consider like where the jam bands come from, right? They come from like the Allman Brothers. That's one of the first jam bands, and then of course, obviously, yep. Band and... But yep, Bo Fish. Yeah, well, Fish, but that's way later, right? It's so, like that's what yeah. what they evolve into. That's what I mean. Yeah, they... and and so you go to like Fish, and then all of a sudden you've got Dave Matthews Band in that category. How does that even no. fit? Like you put if you if you could bring back the dead, right, and get the Allman Brothers back together. <laughs> And you put them on a stage next to Dave Matthews Band, it would be hilarious. It would be a joke. They wouldn't know what to do. They'd have yeah. no idea because those guys had actual talent. They had actual drive, and they lived lives that were worth talking about. Whereas Dave Matthews, yeah. what has he done? Oh, I'm an immigrant from South uh, from South Africa to the United States. That's what he would sing about. And that's what he's done. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I want to say this about the open mics that I go to. So. I'll tell you right now that 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 is the beauty of going to the open mics is that these guys, we will play Zappa, we will play Steely Dan, we yeah. will play Allman Brothers, we will play Leonard Skinner, and songs will go on. Yeah, for like twenty minutes. Nine. That might be the whole 12, set for 15 somebody. Fifteen minutes. Yeah, it might be one th- one guy will play or one girl will play all that time. 
uh, by the way, men and women. Um, and people will come up and they'll say, I wrote a song. Okay, what's the song? Here's the four chords. This is the structure. Follow me in the bridge. And then we're going to take it somewhere. And the next thing you know, that music just goes. And it, it, it becomes atmospheric. And, and the people that come to these open mics are not just musicians. Usually in an open mic, you got 18 musicians, all of them sitting there going, yeah, I could do it better. But then you've got I was I had my arms crossed, folks. You can't yes. see me. Um, but uh, you take um, you know the the uh, open mics that I had been to. That all these people that wanted to be Dave Matthews and they wanted to be this and they were just playing this stuff that it meant nothing to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And and that's where musically, I'm not saying that I'm better or that that the people, all oh, my people are better. I'm well, just saying that it's. There is you're a, also back to that same argument, though, about like covers versus originals. Like right. so many people think that they're so self-righteous to think that their music means something. And I I mean, honestly, I scrap three quarters of the material I write. I'll record a whole song and hit the delete key because that's that's who I am. Like if it's not good enough to please me, it's not going to be good enough to please anybody else. But the stuff I do right. put out there, people really respond positively to. So. I think there are a lot of people that tend to think, and I've worked with some people that are like this, that tend to think that everything they do is gold. And it's not. Yep. Most right. of what you do is probably shit. Right. And that's the that's the thing, though. Even when we do a cover, we don't cover that we cover yeah, you get the, the signature part of the right. song. There's the there's the structured part from the as as uh, Steve Martin said in the jerk, from the chicklets to the erasers. <laughs> but then once we get past the erasers, nobody can guess our weight at that point. Those who know the jerk know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we're going way outside in the boundaries that, that that folks just don't know of. And it's like, and we've talked about this, you know, what would you do when you're next? The other day we were doing um, uh, Feeling All Right. It's a two-chord song. It's C7 and F. That's it. That's the whole song. There's no other chords. But let me tell you something. We milked that thing for nine and a half minutes, and all of us took a turn soloing. Keys, all three guitars, bass, drums. We had a blast. And and I'm just using that as a as a as a single point of of uh, um, example that you can you can have fun whether you do an original or you do a cover if you make it your own if you're not worried about okay here i have to play these seven notes and then i have to use this because this tablature said i need to play on the g string at the third fret and then that's if you were music. caught up in that that's not making music no. and that's robotic and I, I, honestly i've gotten caught up in that too when i go to a go to a open mic or whatever and i'll get up there and i'll start playing and like I look around, I'm like, wait, these parts aren't the same. And like for a split second, I catch myself going, I don't know how this is going to work. But then you just launch into it, you know. Um, and that's what makes you a musician. It's not playing the printed page. It's not making sure you play it just like the record if you watch YouTube. Um, because I'm sure you've all seen people in YouTube comments saying, great cover, but you missed this part and this part and you played it the wrong way here. Shut yeah. up. Shut up. Yeah. Like <laughs> – Music is never supposed to be about that. You can even ask classical musicians when playing a piece, right? Um, how do you know what position to play it at? Well, I play it at the position that it's easiest for me to play it at. And so you can ask them, is there another valid way to play this? And they'll tell you, yes. Yes, there is. But that's not the way I play it. 
And right. that's exactly my point. The guitar is open to interpretation. Music is open to interpretation. And how closely or how far away you get interpret interpretation largely largely determines how good you are. Right? And, and how you handle that. It's not so much that you play the song correctly or play the song pe way, uh, in ways that people want you to play it, but how you handle it right. is, is more important. I think that's something, you know, next, next, uh, New topic. next episode, we should talk about that because, you know, um, yeah, we're, I'm I think sure we're way get, over at this point. So yeah, people get caught up in doing things exact. And I have had these, these arguments and the, and the first thing they do is they point to the classical musician and you are absolutely right. No classical musician in their right mind would tell you, I, I play exactly what's on that pretty page. No, because they're paying attention to what's going around them, and they're paying attention to the the person called the conductor, and they've got the sheet. Their music. sheet music doesn't tell them what position to play in. Absolutely, it, a That's lot of it, it is the school of thought and the school that they yep. that they subscribe to in how to approach the instrument. Like there's people that are in the Andre Andre Segovia school of thinking, right? And they, and so they they would be inclined to do it this way. But there might be another school that's inclined to do it this other way. And that's my point, is that there are different approaches to take to the same piece of music. So if you're going to sit there and bitch at somebody because they didn't play Crazy Train with the same chord voicings you do, shut up. Yeah. Just go away. Yeah. I, 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 um, there's, a, uh, there's a saying in the, in the classical community that if it was as easy as reading the written page, everybody could do it. And interpretation is all often, you know, even just like the what what happens between the notes, you know, um, uh, a tablature may say bend, and you might bend it yep. just a bit further, or you might bend it That's a right. bit less, or a little less, you know. And yep. those things are paramount to a piece of music. So when people say like, you know, it's a tone technique thing. Like people are like, oh, that that's this person nails it. No, it's just that that that's that's what's going on between the notes, like. Yep. They they their phrasing is different than what's on the written page, and it cannot be described with little black dots, and that's you know, right. And flags. That's basically what it is. So, uh, I've been David. I've been and Jim. This week we've been the practical guitarists.